Hey folks, Zach here. We've never done this before, so we're breaking new ground once again and having a Cinemonides first. We are dedicating this episode to Mr. Ed Barlow Jr., yet you will soon know him better as Chief. If not for Chief and his adventures with Dave Ensign, who you're about to hear, this marvelous story could never have happened. Chief, wherever you may be, we hope you are minding the gap and definitely not keeping your hands and feet inside the vehicle at all times. And on with the show. Late Night Movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. Unfortunately, this evening, we do not have Rob. He is at the Cinemodis restaurant currently trying to get the uh, the waiters under order, and he won't be able to join us, but we wish him the best in his current endeavors or whatever he's up to. I think that's the best way we can describe Rob. But in his absence, we actually have two guests. We are deviating. Originally, last week, we talked about maybe covering R. Kelly. After the documentary, we realized that's probably not the best idea because all we can do is shoot ourselves in the foot with a topic like that. So we decided to move on to bigger and better pastures, and we are discussing a YouTube video, which I'm pretty sure is a, a first for Cinemonides, but is actually a documentary short titled Sneaking Into a Forgotten Disney World Ride, Epcot Horizons. And joining me is actually the director and the creator of this video is Matthew Serrano. And on top of that, we have actually one of the focal points of this documentary, Dave Ensign, part of the legendary duo, if you know your Disney history, of Hoot and Chief. And to both of you, welcome to Cinemonides. Thank you so much. Well, first and foremost, guys, I want to give a little bit of a backstory on Horizons. Out of the three of us, I am probably the least qualified to talk about it, but I'm going to give it my best try. <laughs> Please Go correct me if I'm wrong. Basically, Horizons was a pavilion at Epcot Center back in the day. It lasted about 16 years. It's when you think of a classic Disney attraction, it's basically what you'd have in mind. I know for people probably nowadays, the idea of a classic Disney attraction has probably changed a lot. It's one of those things that when researching this, I really had to think about the fact that, wow, the idea of a classic Disney attraction just has a, a new meaning basically once every 10 to 15 years. Basically, it's one of those extinct attractions. It was demolished in the late 90s, and it more or less has, oh God, you guys probably can describe it better than I can. It really has never left the Disney pop culture zeitgeist. Mm. No, you're absolutely right. And that's one of the biggest things. And that's what kind of drew me to this video was just to give my own backstory. And then I'll stop talking. One of the wor- one of the things I hate most when I listen to <laughs> podcasts or interviews is when the host talks more than the guest. So I'll shut up real soon. I love my Disney attractions, especially stuff that is extinct and whatnot. But a lot of the current you- – I know there's basically God been a boom of YouTube Disney documentaries recently. At this point now, I've actually joked to Rob that we at one point we should just have shut down Cinemodis, just rebranded it as Insert Disney Extinct Attraction Here podcast, 
and will be guaranteed <laughs> to get hundreds of thousands of views. Uh, unfortunately, he shot that idea down, and I think maybe that's the reason why Rob isn't here this evening. Uh, that's a joke, but kidding aside, um, Matthew's video, I have to say, definitely broke the mold with that. This is one of those times where you watch a lot of these videos, and it feels like you're watching essentially somebody narrate the Wikipedia page. And Matthew's video, sneaking into a forgotten Disney World ride, I have to say is the exact opposite of that. So my first question is to Matthew, what drew you to – are you a Disney fan in general? Did this, are you somebody who's outside that world that just – this story captivated you? What drew you to Dave and Chief's oh. story? Thank you so much for saying all those nice words. And it's really a relief to hear that because, yeah, exactly. I, I feel I share the same sentiment. Um, I'm a huge Disney Parks fan, and I love binging through all those videos on YouTube because there's endless videos on Disney Parks stuff. And, yeah, I, I do share that same sentiment of feeling like a lot of those videos really do feel like just people making a list of all of these images that they found off of a Google search and then just reading off the Wikipedia page. And so one of the big things that I focus on was I really wanted to make it feel as much of a cinematic experience as possible, which is really hard when, like I was telling someone while I was editing it, I was like, this is one of the hardest things I've ever done. Because imagine 20 years ago, two guys whose last thought is like properly shooting it in a documentary style, handing me all this camcorder footage 20 years later and going, yeah, make something interesting and compelling out of this. So that someone who has never heard of this ride before, like, will watch it and be interested, which is a lot harder than it sounds. Going into uh, talking about like how I got into all this, um, I've been, like I said, like a huge Disney Parks fan all of my life. Uh, I only went to Walt Disney World once when I was like a baby. I, I went for, I think my parents told me I was like two years old or something really young. I went for like ten minutes. And I was right at that age where I could like understand that Main Street at Walt Disney at Magic Kingdom was similar to my Main Street back here in Anaheim in Disneyland, since I lived near Disneyland. But it was like just different enough that it like messed with my my brain. And so <laughs> I just remember I started crying and I was nonstop crying. And my parents could not get me to stop crying. And so we left after a 15 minute trip to Walt Disney World. <laughs> So unfortunately, oh <laughs> back in 2000, 2001, whatever it was, I never got to uh, spend much time in Walt Disney World, let alone Epcot. However, in searching for all of these random Disney theme park obscurities, I came across a bunch. Uh, I came across like Horizons uh, one day. I can't remember how, but I discovered Horizons and I watched the ride through of it, and immediately it became my favorite defunct attraction of all time. Because one of my favorite movies is 2001 A Space Odyssey. And the way I like to describe Horizons to people is, well, just imagine if Disney was given the script to 2001 and they were like, we're going to Disneyfy it and turn it into a ride. That's what you get with Horizons. This like larger than life, spectacular, very human experience starting from like the earlier age of man and then going into the great beyond. And in like two years ago was around the time when when i was looking through all these different fan websites that i came across somebody mentioning the two guys that ran around in the ride documenting everything and that stuck with me for a long time and so like four months ago i was talking with my composer friend and i and 
we were talking about defunct rides, Disney rides, and we were t- talking about Horizons. And this was like around a week where I had a bunch of other film projects that I was working on, and I couldn't really get anything done with any of those. And we were talking about Horizons, and I was like, and he's like, yeah, are there any websites that should check out? And I was like, you should check this out. You should watch this. Oh, and by the way, if you really want to get deep into it, you should really check out Mesa Verde Times. And he's like, oh, what is it? And so I started getting into it. And then I was like, you know, I've never actually like gone through the, your entire blog. And I remember sitting there in front of the YouTube page looking at it and seeing how much footage they really had and thinking like, my God, like someone has to have had cut this together, right? Like made a super cut of it. And I remember searching for like an hour for, for anything. And there was maybe one, one article talking about what Hoot and Chief did and there was nothing else. And I was like shocked by that. And then I remember I just pressed play on the first video, which is the last upload on that YouTube channel, which is the ending of the doc. If you've seen the doc, read, which you should definitely turn this off and go watch the doc first. <laughs> yeah, um, we should definitely say that if you haven't watched this, uh, please do. You'll, I think you'll appreciate this conversation uh, just as much. But if you watch it, it's fantastic. Even if you're not a Disney fan, this will 112% suck you in. And so when I went on the channel, the first video I watched, uh, when I was like, okay, I'm going to finally get through all these videos, is I rewatched the video of Dave burying Ed's ashes. And I remember being so emotionally affected by it. And then it hit me where I just remember saying to myself, this feels like the ending to a story. And I just looked at all the videos and I was like, maybe instead of just, because I had been making other docs at the time. So I was already in the documentary mindset. I was like, maybe instead of just watching these videos, what if I just downloaded all of them and started cataloging them? And then four months later, we have a documentary. As I was watching this, I really, oh God, there's, there's, a, there's a visceral narrative here and you, you already hinted upon it, but it's present in a way that I've never seen in a Disney documentary. This is where I want to bring Dave in because he really is the star of this in more ways than one. Is I've been, I I am 26 years old, so I am at this weird age where you were like, oh god, extinct Disney attractions. So like, I never got to experience the classics like 20,000 Leagues. Apparently, my mother tells me I was on the Skyway, never got to experience Horizons, but I was always kind of aware of these things because the first time I ever got, I actually learned about Horizons was through the Extinct Attractions Club. Which I know, as I was reading Mesa Verde Times, Dave, I know you had a couple of not so great interactions with that guy. With with who? Who was that? The Extinct Attractions Club. They oh yeah, at- yeah. <laughs> and I, because when I was preparing for this, I read through all of your obviously the entire website. I started at the very beginning, and one of my notes before I even started doing that research, I'm like, oh, I want to ask Dave about like again just the idea of doing theme park docs because. You guys were cataloging cataloging a lot of this stuff, but that wasn't even a thing at the time, was it, when you and Chief were doing all this? No, not at all. In fact, uh, the reason we we did that the way we did, you know, explained our base camp, explained everything in the videos, was for ourselves. We were we're talking to ourselves as old men in those videos, which is the weirdest thing. But we would sit around. You know, after Horizons closed and everything, we would sit around some nights and just watch the videos and like laugh at ourselves and answer ourselves. <laughs> so 
the reason we we give a tour like that is because we were convinced that we'd be in the same old folks' home someday with nothing to do, and we could sit around and, and watch this shit. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so oh, yeah, that, we're talking we're talking to ourselves. That's and, and and there's a brilliance to that that really comes into play twenty years later. It seems like we made it for the internet when you know internet video in ninety seven ninety eight wasn't very good. And that was my thing with the Extinct Attractions Club because I know the guy that was in charge of that started doing all this stuff like in the late nineties. And that, again, that's how I was introduced to Horizons. And I'm like, and I think that's kind of he probably was trying to steal a lot of your f- footage if I if I had to guess, or at least yeah, he, um, his own. Yeah, he he had taken a lot of uh, material from my friend Mike Lee, who runs Widen Your World website, you know, Walt Disney World history, and without asking and stuff like that, you know. So I wanted to make sure that that didn't happen to us. So I pretty much threatened him. And then, <laughs> and then 10 years later, Disney would do the exact same thing to him. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's full circle. Uh, I guess right. I know that I know that guy um, gets a lot of a, like a bum rap these days, but he was again, uh, he's not the first pioneer. Obviously, you and Chief were the, the first. But when it came to being really on the forefront, I got to give him credit because to this day, I still have his DVDs. And they're horribly outdated now with all the information we have, but still they are kind of that foundation of how I got into this world. So I can't, yeah, I, I watch them too. I watch them too. I love the mind train through nature's wonderland from Disneyland. Oh yeah. I yeah. Think he did a good job. I just didn't want him to jack our stuff. <laughs> that was his problem. He didn't know how to uh, license and talk to people. Maybe if he knew how to do that correctly, he wouldn't be in the deep water that he eventually would lead in, uh, lead himself into. Uh, but no, so, so, Dave, I have to ask, Matthew mm-hmm. obviously approached you about this. I know, I reading Mesa Verde Times, I think one of the entries, and this is, I, I don't know the exact day off the top of my head, you talked about someone making a, a like a short film or a documentary off this, again, I think maybe like 2010-ish. I'm guessing that didn't go anywhere, or maybe I'm wrong about that. But what was your opinion when Matthew contacted you about this? Was this something like, because at that point, it'd been, God, almost 10 years since you started this. What was going through your head at the time? Well, what happened was we, we actually were approached by a few guys who wanted to make a documentary out of the footage. But the thing is, none of it gelled because, I don't know, they, they all had these weird angles, these weird ideas about how they would present it that didn't seem to fit the story, you know? So nothing really went forward on those projects. And then uh, one day, out of the blue, I get a a message from Matthew, and he says, hey, I put this together. Actually, it said, I want to make a documentary, and I've already done it. He (laughs) he had already gone and cut all the stuff together. And I was like, wow, I was impressed because, you know, take the bull by the horns, man, and, you know, get things done. I love that. So I watched it. I was like, well, this is it. This is exactly the way Ed and I thought of this adventure, you know, and it is about two friends and it is about, you know, uh, backstage exploration and all that, you know, in in a friendly way. And I don't know. it It was just perfect. And I said right away, man, you got my blessing. Run with it. But uh, I also told him that I, I don't think I could be that involved with it because, number one, I'm kind of busy. 
number two, it's it's still a little painful to revisit that stuff. You know, like I haven't read through the blog in a long time. You know, after Ed died, and uh, I said, "Man, run with it and see what you get." And by God, he did it. Which yeah. is funny because yeah, what happened was um, I remember like not being able for the longest time actually finding a way to reach out to Hoot because that's who I thought I needed to reach out to. I thought I needed to reach out to Hoot Gibson. So originally the reason, part of the reason why I couldn't reach out was because I was reaching out to Hoot. I wasn't looking for Dave, even Mm. though to anyone who's listening confused, they are the same person. Hoot (laughs) is a namesake. But I, this is just a, it's funny how this started as like a side project for me. This is like a side fun project for me that I was working on while I was working on all these other things. And I just wanted to do it for myself and like see if I could do something with this footage. But at some point I knew like I was going to have to show this to Dave. So I think it was two months almost into me editing when I was like, you know what, let me try reaching out to him again. And I did some more searching. I found his page, like the world famous Dave Ensign page. And then I found his actual personal Facebook and I hit that up. And I, I remember being so nervous because <laughs> I've been in this situation before where I've made a film about someone else's like very personal like life story. I made a film about it was like my senior thesis in college about my friend's uh, grandmother and her real life story of growing up in World War II Germany, falling in love with an American soldier, losing contact with him for 50 years after they had a child and weren't able to get married. And then the day before he died, they finally got in contact with each other and they had one last phone call. And so I've been in that situation before in telling someone's very true and very personal story. And, And I knew like I got that feeling again with approaching Dave. And so I was so relieved when he messaged back saying, you have my blessing. That still is one of my favorite, one of the best feelings I've had, like, in all of, like, my last year <laughs> was when I got that <laughs> and, message. And I'm the nicest guy in the world. Everybody knows that. I'm just the, probably the <laughs> nicest human being on the planet. <laughs> my wife's giving me a look, I think. <laughs> <laughs> But part of the reason, again, like I said, I don't want to read what I've already said, is that as I'm watching this, and again, I've been, oh god, I've been familiar with the Horizon story for 10 plus years. I've seen all the stuff. I remember, again, reading the uh, Mesa Verde Times, Horizons Resurrected. I remember when that was the big thing in 2011, the fact, this is before VR became pop uh, popular. And so I really kind of, again, like Horizon's one of those extinct attractions, which I thought at the time for the last how many years, it's like, oh, well, we know everything about it. And I think there's maybe one or two years ago, I, um, I'm, a, I'm a big movie person. I follow all the movie bloggers and one of them posted, some of them, one of them wrote like an article about Mesa Verde Times and it, like the title of the article was something really ambiguous, like two nerds, like spend a lot of time on a Disney ride. And I'm like, what is this about? And I, it was like an article, maybe, oh God, I think it was like five paragraphs. It was long. And at the time it was about Horizon. So I'm like, oh, and like, but really was, it was a condescending take on what you and Chief did, Dave. And it was like, it really was just like, again, why write an article if you have a disdain for this sort of thing? So I just kind of right. figured like, oh yeah, whatever. And I didn't think much about it. And then it was basically less than two weeks ago when, again, I do watch all those Disney retrospectives on YouTube. 
I get your video, Matthew, recommended to me. And again, it's a lazy Sunday afternoon. I'm like, okay, I'll put this on as background noise. And as I'm watching it, I, I, I might, I'm not just saying this isn't hyperbole for you being here, but <laughs> as I'm watching this, I've never been so engrossed in a YouTube video before. Like I was, I was glued to the screen. Obviously, Dave, you're a huge part of that too, because it takes two to tango. Um, your story is the cat is a part of this. And when I finished watching it, I kind of felt like, and please forgive this analogy. I'm probably not going to do this right, but it felt, I felt like Bill Paxton at the end of Titanic. And I'm like, <laughs> oh man, I know I never let it in. And I'm like, there's this beautiful, like you already said, Matthew, this story, this friendship, that's the core of this. And it really is like the Jack and Rose of Titanic. I think we've, again, and it's kind of like, weirdly enough, this is the Titanic of Horizons. And I mean, Titanic, mm. the film, not the disaster. And that we all, as Disney fans, we all know Horizons. We've heard of it before. It's one of the classic extinct attractions. Much like Titanic. Everybody knows the story about what happened with the sinking of Titanic, though. But you need that human element to it. And that really is what brings that to life. And That's a brilliant analogy, by the oh, way. Oh, thank you. I, I've been comparing yeah. that for the last few days. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to sound like an awful human being comparing this to the, to the Titanic. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's really – like again, I, I, there's, there's at least a couple of the YouTube Disney people that I'm not thrilled with. Like there's one video. I'm not going to name it specifically, but it has like some ridiculous view count. It has like 5 million views, and it's on the most boring – nothing burger of a topic ever and i'm like how do people find this interesting it's like there's nothing here and i'm like i guess it's just uh disney theme park docs are popular and i really can't explain it but one of the things matthew that i gotta give you credit for is that as i was looking at mesa verde times is that and I know this is obviously part of design of what you were doing dave is that you were pinballing all over the place of what you were covering topic wise right oh yeah yeah Ooh, let's get into that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the part I want to ask you about is Matthew is as I'm like, I'm I've raised I've watched your documentary at least three or four times at this point. I'm going through the website and I'm like, how on earth? And I mean, this in the most polite way possible. How did you make sense of all this and craft in uh, a, a linear narrative out of it all? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Let's get into that. Um, so keep in mind when I, one of the things that, that made me nervous too, about reaching out to Dave and sending him the rough cut, which by the way, Dave, I'm sure you can attest very different from the finished product, similar in a lot of ways, but also very different. Yeah. I think you're, I think the basic heart of it was there though, right from the first one I saw from the beginning. Yeah. You know, yeah. You definitely had that, that spark, you know, that, that human side, like they say, I yeah, mean, but it was there. Well, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, when I, when I saw the next one, yeah, it, it was even better. Really? Yeah, I, I definitely, I agree. It definitely was an improvement, but that was the, that was the nerve wracking thing about sending it to you was because no one was holding my hand and answering any of my questions. So what I did was I just took an entire week to just outline the madness, which basically consisted of I first watched the videos. I watched all of them all the way through to get like a general idea for what happened. And then I tried to logically piece things together. There were some obvious things where I was like, OK, the title of this video is like the end of our adventures. So I like put it at the end and I started it like that. 
And then I started <laughs> right. to realize that there were certain th things that I did wrong. Like, for example, in in one of the videos that I figured was near the beginning because of how it was titled, in the video, there's one part where Ed goes, where Chief goes, like, where was it that you hurt your foot? Right there? Oh, right there? And I was like, yeah, yeah. shit, they're talking about Hoot's injury. So the, this comes after the injury video. So that was like how it started off was like figuring out little details like that, that were like kind of throwing it off. But I remember I literally had to read every comment on all of their YouTube videos, read the description. I had to then go back through the entire blog, post by post, comment by comment to double check and fact check every single thing. So the first cut of it was me trying to t tell the story linear, lin uh, like in order. And then from there, that was when I started to take liberties and uh, cut things down and move things around. But it, it was such a relief when I called Dave for the first time and asked him like, but yeah, is there anything that I got wrong? And he was like, no, you, you nailed it. Like you got everything, which I thought was crazy. I don't know how and I managed to get everything right. And what you're saying is important here because you keep saying that one word over and over, which is story. And that that is where you have an amazing talent because you are thinking about story. You know, you took that time to, to find that story. And that's what's great about this. I mean, that's what impressed me was you made a story. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so much. I mean, it's not just a, I think what even makes this even more powerful is that it's sure. it's the stories there, but there's no compromise on anything else. You get that uh, uh, nitty gritty detail horizon stuff. You get the aspect of because there is like as I was pitching this to Rob, my co-host, it was like there was something in it for everybody because Rob is a, a numbers guy. He has that sort of mindset. I don't, I am the polar opposite. And one of the things I really knew he would glom onto with this was the system, Dave, and how you guys counted the cars. And the fact you had to make sure in this scheme that you had and basically the numbers game of it all, which, again... Wait for the gap. Wait for yeah, the gap. The gap. <laughs> like I said, in retrospect, I'm surprised that wasn't the title of this, Wait for the Gap. You know what? That was, was that was something... Um, I, I also have to give credit to a couple of names, um, Tim Tran, Adam Velasquez, Tyler Novak, um, all of these friends of mine, Chris Russo, Jake Houlihan, we all have this group called the Brain Thrust. It's like a brain trust, but with an extra H, where we all get together weekly and we share each other's like projects and we give feedback. And I have to give a lot of credit to them because um, they picked apart this documentary week after week after week. And gave numerous notes on everything. And that's part of the reason why the doc is so different from the version that I sent to Dave. And why I believe it's it's such a success. And why people are in love with it so much. And it's funny because one of the important things we talked about was like how to title it. You know, especially because it, we knew that it was going to go on YouTube. And yeah, the first thing that everyone pitched was uh, Wait for the Gap. <laughs> that's great. Oh, if you guys knew how many hours we spent just standing there waiting. So, uh, some nights we would go out there to do that stuff, you know, after work or whatever, and uh, we wouldn't get a chance to run around because the ride was just too busy. Really? Yeah. So some nights was a, you know, it was a total bust, and we would have to haul all our stuff back home and just 
eat it, you know? You know, I felt that when I was watching through your footage because I do remember there was like two videos dedicated to just you guys waiting for the gap. And yeah. they're like, like long. They're like one of the longer ones that you put on the channel. And it's torture because it's just nothing but like just a consistent flow of guests where it's like not like a full like consistent stream of them but it's like they're coming in just far apart enough from each other where there's nothing you guys can do and right. you can just tell the frustration and just like the spirits getting killed that must suck yeah that must have sucked like going all the way out to the disney world going all the way out to epcot and then just waiting yep. around and just burning through an entire day and then just having to go back to work yeah you, you'd go back to work with no material to look at because we, you know, uh, we would we would take a bunch of pictures and we would take them to the one hour photo Walgreens by our apartment complex, and uh, we'd go home and drink some beer, and then we'd head back over there and get our pictures, and then then we could see what we messed up or what we needed a better picture of. You know, if if we only had digital stuff, it would have been amazing, but we were actually developing rolls of film there at the Walgreens. You know, and it's like. Oh my God! Then you would go to work the next day, and I would seriously spend the the entire day pouring over the pictures, every little detail. Like, oh, we need a picture of those shoes. That's the lady in the bathtub's shoes, you know. And I would make that list of of the things we needed. It's it's uh, pretty pretty weird. Because as I was watching this in some of the videos, like uh, I know in one of the blog posts, you said Dave that when you were. Uh, in the in the queue waiting to sit there uh, gauge the gap and you guys are filming it and as i'm watching this the logistical start of my brain's like oh wait they were based off like videotapes yes of course they could always go you guys could rewind it and tape over it but it was the idea that plus you had batteries like it's not like today where you get how many hours off one charge or something everybody forgets that mm. you had these big bulky things so this was a never mind again there's a whole other layer to this too that i think matthew captures that again not present anything else is that you guys had to worry about all these other things. It was, it's not just simply like I know nowadays there's a really popular thing of, of sneaking on to uh, abandoned Disney attractions. I know there's a big hullabaloo about Buzzy and Cranium Command. But yeah. like, which I want to ask you a couple questions about that later on. But like, okay. the, the guy who did that, like he has like a GoPro strapped to his forehead. And pretty much he has like four hours basically of, of high definition video. Right. You and Chief had to lug around these cameras that weighed, again, not a lot, but you still had, there was so much coordination to it. And that's just, uh, people take that for granted nowadays. And yet you guys had to mind all this stuff. And it wasn't just simple of, oh, let's get in and out without getting caught. There were so many different facets of this that just, uh, oh God, it's not mind blowing, but it's just, people should appreciate it. Yeah, Ed's camera was a beast. It was one of the full-size VHS tape cameras, you know? So he he popped that giant cassette in there, and he had two batteries, which if he used the light on his camera, it would kill the battery real fast. I, I don't think he could go more than 10 minutes worth of shooting. Which with the you guys definitely out. complained about a lot. Yeah. <laughs> my rear battery's already dying from shit. People are, already, are still on it. You can see people? Yep. The rear battery dies when I use the light. And then uh, I was about to get married. So I was like, well, geez, honey, 
why don't we just buy a camera because we're going to need it for our honeymoon anyhow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I rolled it in to the whole wedding thing. And I was like, you know, we want to preserve the, our honeymoon memories. For the we're wedding. We're going to have to get an eight, eight millimeter <laughs> camera. <laughs> Isn't that a great idea, honey? And she was like, oh, yeah. But really, I'm thinking, shit, now we can sneak even further back in there, you know, <laughs> without lugging Ed's huge camera. Oh, oh man. That's fantastic. <laughs> She'll never hear this. She'll never listen to this podcast, I know, because, <laughs> you know, shit. She doesn't care about Horizons at this point. She's heard all that too, way too many times. Sure. So I'm going to get away with this. I got away with <laughs> a, a video camera because she just went out to the store, see? And she's not even listening to me record this podcast. <laughs> now we're going to get the real Dave Ensign. So, boys, keep that in mind as you go through life that you, you got to, sometimes you got to calm these little things. <laughs> marriage, marriage is give and take, you know? And you, sometimes you got to be creative about it. About getting especially, the things you want. Especially when it comes to Disney attractions that you have to document. In life, <laughs> as in Horizons, you gotta sometimes jump over out of your seats and, uh, you know, wait for the gap. Yeah, yeah some guy actually, uh, I, I, he might have been from security. He contacted us and told us how wrong it was that we make this blog, right? And, and I say to him, well, actually, I was thinking about suing Disney because I kept falling out. <laughs> it's disney's fault because they didn't provide a safe ride for me yeah we should get, get into more of that some of the um the naysayers and stuff which i'm sure you, you've experienced a lot more but now that i'm putting myself out there with this documentary i've started to get a couple of those too oh and yeah actually going back to the article that you're referring to zach um i think i know which one you guys you're talking about is it the one that's like the unauthorized daredevil documentation of Horizons article? Uh, no. Actually, it's funny because I think, again, Matthew, I'm not sure if you planned this or maybe it's just brilliant timing of it all. But uh, with Buzzy and Cranium Command, apparently <laughs> for the last – stop me if you've heard this though, but I guess for our audience that might not have – there's another abandoned attraction, right? But what would you say? What, Dave, that's what? How many uh, yards to the left of where Horizons was? What, maybe half a football field's length? Oh, yeah, not even, man. It's like right there. Within spitting distance of where Horizons used to be is the Wonders of Life Pavilion. It's been more or less... Uh, it's not abandoned. People have a really weird definition of what's abandoned nowadays. But it's essentially uh, a Disney pavilion that hasn't been operational in the way it was designed to be for god 12 years now uh there is two definitive rides in there one named body wars body wars is basically at the time it was somewhat revolutionary it was a carbon copy of star tours but there was another ride in there not even a ride it was more like a show called cranium command and it's essentially for your disney layman it's inside out it was the inspiration for Pixar's Inside Out, and inside there was one audio animatronic figure named Buzzy. And basically for the last month or so, the Disney theme park community has been in a buzz, pardon the pun, about <laughs> the character in there named Buzzy. Uh, nobody knows what happened to Buzzy. Um, I know I, in my research on that, I've seen your name, Dave, thrown around a couple of times as an expert opinion. When people ask about what happened to Buzzy, uh, Buzzy's MIA, apparently we know for certain that his clothes were stolen. There's apparently a police report that documents that. And there's some very crude photos of Buzzy's perch. 
and basically he's gone and his purse is gone with him, but there's some wires and, and tubes and stuff hanging there. And basically there's this weird sort of online cabal to find Buzzy. Did I, did well, I do that I'll right? I'll tell you what, guys. Uh, I actually found him. Uh-oh. And uh, I did an interview with the Orlando Weekly newspaper last night. And uh, yeah, I, I found Buzzy. <laughs> and he, what? He's not stolen. Yeah, he's not stolen at all. And that's the weird part. You can use this in your podcast all you want. Um, I made some calls around. You know, I still, I'm in the industry. I know a lot of people out there at Epcot and stuff. And what happened was somebody did steal his hat and his coat. And more importantly, people were getting up there and trying to get their picture taken with Buzzy, which is kind of hazardous because there's like a pit underneath him. You know, you could easily fall and, and hurt yourself. And Disney didn't want that. So uh, I guess WDI and uh, facility maintenance removed Buzzy off his perch. They because, it, you know, it would have taken a ladder and at least three guys to get that thing down. And they did it so that people won't come in there anymore and hurt themselves. But they didn't bother to notify security or operations. Oh, it's in trouble. Oh. So as soon as the operations people saw that it was missing, they just went crazy. He's been stolen! And it blew up into this huge thing that Disney won't comment on now because they don't want to be any part of the whole conspiracy. You know, They don't want to oh, comment sure, on any yeah. of it. So, yeah, I mean, Buzzy's still there. And he's still in the, at Epcot. He's just not on his perch anymore. I want everybody to know at home, this is why you create a podcast. Because if you just message somebody out of the blue, like imagine like Dave, you get this message from some random guy. It's like, hey, tell me about Buzzy at, at Cranium Command. You'd be like, get away from me, you creep. You smell weird. I can smell yeah. you through the internet. <laughs> yeah. And the thing about a podcast is that you get to ask these questions and you get fantastic answers with great people. And uh, thank you for that. That's more than I ever expected of an answer I'd get out of you. So oh, to both man, of you, yeah. thank you. Oh man, that's great. You have no idea how many ask because that was part of the story with this was I swear, uh, and Matthew, did you know about this ahead of time or the buzzy thing? Yeah, it's funny. Is I was uh, right when I was wrapping up uh, the Horizon stock, um, I was hearing about the buzzy story because I'm I'm follow a bunch of people from DIS Twitter, and DIS Twitter exploded with the hashtag Find Buzzy, and I was like, what is this nonsense? Because I already knew about Korean Command, and I obviously know Buzzy, and like. <laughs> The weird thing was, yeah, exactly. Like when you hear, when you read the story and you read the report, the way that it was done, it's described as like a very crude removal. So that's why immediately I bought into the idea of a team of people, not from Disney, came in and stole the animatronic. I knew that there was a possibility that it was probably Disney, and I was like, I'm sure it's probably going to be Disney. But in my head, I was like, can you imagine, like? The, cr- the greatest Disney heist. Like, that's going to be a doc- my next documentary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would have been impressive if, if it were outside guys that did it. You it know, I, that's why that's insane. what made me interested in the whole story was I was like, wait a minute. Because I'm into animatronics. You know, I, I build my own myself. You know, and I've worked on the Disney ones before. And I don't know, that just intrigued me that now, wait a minute. How'd those clowns get in there and do this, you know? Me and Chief were slick, but there's no way people could go in there and do that. So I started making calls around. That's, that's yeah. next-level stuff. 
I can't imagine stealing Buzzy. I, That's I just disrespectful. Well, yeah, that, and I never really cared for that show too much. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It's that just, was something that uh, a lot of cast member friends were pointing out to me. Because going back to where we talked about the naysayers, I have, I've, I've had a lot of people, because... You know, my channel, it was literally a brand new channel, and I haven't really posted anything publicly online. So this is like the first thing that I was putting out there into the world. And so I was reaching out to a lot of people that I looked up to. And that's what's been really nice about like the first week of the video being online. And even now is a lot of people that I've looked up to for a long time reaching out to me, you know, heaping all this praise about, you know, the doc. And that's been really great. But then at the same time, you get a lot of people from the Disney community that especially with the Buzzy story happening around this very same time, a lot of people just straight up being like, like turning their noses the other way and going, harumph, I will not take part in this naughty Disney fan behavior (laughs) and trying to act like Disney's listening and is going to reward them by giving them tickets to Galaxy's Edge. It's like, (laughs) what are you doing? Like, no one's, no one cares. Like get off your high horse. And, uh, yeah, like my friend, uh, who, speaking of Galaxy's Edge, she might be working there soon. Ooh, but she is a cast member right now at the Haunted Mansion. And um, as as who as as Dave, you sent to me last night about how there's talk about the dock uh, around Epcot. There's also talk about the dock around Disneyland. And she was talking with a lot of people about it. And she's like, and I'm gonna drop a name here, uh, Matt Sanswa who is the guy who... Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the guy who's, who's famous for sneaking into River Country. That guy. Who is now, like, very much putting himself out there and putting his face out there and his name out there. I don't know what your opinions are on, on him, Dave, uh, but um, the word around that a, a lot of Disney people hate him. And, oh, yeah. And, and, my, and my friend was telling me, she's like, here's where... Here's the difference between Hoot and Chief and Matt. Matt Sansois is, for lack of a better word, trying to do it to be edgy and to get the views and to, you know, like put his face and his name out there and just do it for, for that, for the thrill of that. Whereas she was like telling me, she's like, whereas Hoot and Chief, like they're doing it because they genuinely love that attraction and they had a code about it. That's something that I love seeing a lot of people yeah. recognizing online is that you guys had a code. It wasn't until the very, very end where you guys decided, you know what, we're going to take like these little tiny knickknacks that no one is going to miss. Which, yeah, they were even honestly, in the trash. You, know? you guys wouldn't have been wrong for stealing more because, frankly, Disney just threw that entire ride in the dumpster. Yeah. Which they do a lot, right. sadly. They, they just kind of, they're very, Disney's very good at archiving like things like significant things about certain attractions but then when it comes to the experience as a whole they just completely overlook that and they've done that since the beginning and that's kind of the reason why a lot of these youtube videos and stuff and this whole theme park culture is gaining popularity is because people want to tap into that stuff people have a hunger for that, that stuff yeah that's and that's a- and she was like telling me, she's like, what they did was immeasurably important because if it weren't for them, there would be no documentation of this ride. Whereas Matt Santwa is going into the queue of body wars and then getting Disney workers in trouble. Right, right. 
Yeah, and so I, that's something I that I, I really feel passionately about where I'm very passionate. Like that's, that's what I'm really glad people are, are taking away from the doc is that like what Chief did while you guys weren't listening to the rules, what you guys did was ultimately right. Yeah, we had to do it, you know? Exactly. We knew we had to do it. Because we, we had seen plenty of attractions be shut down, you know? Uh, man, early on, let's see. Well, we, we developed our code for the good reason of, you know, uh, being able to do the more and more missions in the future, you know? Because if you mess with stuff, they do notice. And the next thing you know, that the door that you used to love to go through is locked when it hasn't been locked for years. Mm. Like a prime example of that is um, the, the model of Epcot that you see on the Wedway People Mover at the Magic Kingdom. Yeah, in Tomorrowland. Yeah. There was a, an easy door to open up in the Tomorrowland Terrace, and you could just walk up these stairs through an air handling room and behind a curtain, you were on a catwalk above the model. And it was so zen. You could sit up there for hours and just watch the twinkling lights and all that on this beautiful piece. Which is crazy but, because that's the original model. Yeah, exactly. Like, like Wall had his hand on that. That's amazing. I never knew that you did that. Yeah, I mean, we used to go up there and just sit for the fun of it and just look at the thing. And uh, one time, what happened? We, we messed with something. And I guess we left the, the black curtain open or something like that. Ooh. And from then on, that door was locked forever. We could never go back uh. up there again. And it's like, why did we, why did we screw up that way? <laughs> if we if had just left it alone, we could have enjoyed that time after time. So, you know, that, that was a lesson we took into Horizons. Don't mess with anything. Don't, don't even make it look like anyone was here, you know? And it worked. It worked. That's out important. That's important yeah. to know, because yeah, that is something that is very prevalent in what you guys did in in Horizons. You know, if we would have stolen anything out of that ride, you know, even from the maintenance room or whatever, like documentation or whatever, if we would have left it a book out that we happen to be looking through, it could have caused that door to be locked the next time. Now, something I want to talk about real quick in relation to this is um, there's a deleted scene in Zach in the the documentary. There's a a lot of deleted stuff. Uh, One of the deleted scenes that went right near the very end, because I was just, I didn't like how it messed with the flow of everything, and I didn't feel it was as important, was, so there, okay, so there's the girl talking to her boyfriend, right? The animatronic. So there's like boots that are like sitting next to her and they have on footage proof of this. There was like one time where they're exploring around and there's one boot sitting next to the girl. And then the next time when they go back a while later, there's two sitting next to her, which I always thought was weird. And I don't I don't know what your explanation of that is, Dave, but like that, I guess that kind of proves that like that kind of adds stakes to what you guys did because that means that that ride wasn't being fully neglected like there was still like yeah cast members like working on it and stuff and replacing props and swapping things out or could that have possibly been somebody jumping out um that you guys weren't aware of and stealing that boot oh yeah kids did that all the time 
kids would steal the the boot. Kids would jump out of the ride constantly. I mean, we we actually saw kids jump out of the ride from behind the scenes, you know. And oh, really? Yeah, I mean, you know, just hot dog and being goofy. They would jump out and swipe a boot. They would they would swipe some of the triple apples from the grow scene. You know, they're hanging on a tree right in front of the ride vehicles. They would jump out and grab one. They were always stripped off of there. I mean, that's a it's a common thing in all Disney rides that mm-hmm. things just come up missing. Like, uh, I I knew a guy that was the artist on uh, Snow White Scary Adventure in the Magic Kingdom, and he had a box full of the poison apples that the witches dangling there in front of everybody because people swiped them all the time. I mean, he tried everything to try to keep people from swiping. And he had a steel cable going from the witch's finger down into the apple. He would coat the apple in this grease like Vaseline so they couldn't get a grip <laughs> on it. And it didn't work. He had to replace the damn thing, like, seriously, you know, at least once a week. That's frustrating. So, yeah, Horizons was the same way. Just anything that was right there in front of people, like the boots were. They would just jump out and grab them. I, I, every once in a while, I kind of realize, oh, wait, I'm recording something. I'm listening to this, and I'm so engrossed in it. Kind of realize, oh, wait, I have questions to ask. No, but like, getting back to the, the, the issue of the naysayers we brought up was mm. one thing that I wonder if Disney – because there's this weird thing you guys probably have picked up on with Disney is that Disney, I think, likes the fact that people are intrigued with the extinct attractions. But at the same time, though, they can't really profit on it anymore. Outside of, don't be wrong, commemorative stuff that comes out every once in a while. But right. Disney is a company built on nostalgia. Yet, when yep. it comes to theme park attractions, again, like the Horizons, the Wonders of Life, 20,000 Leagues, the list goes on and on and on, they're oddly, they partition that firmly away from the current stuff. To the point where it's kind of, I don't want to say it's an afterthought, but like I know just recently I saw some of their selling t-shirts with the Great Movie Ride logo, uh, the Skyway. Like again, cutesy stuff. But my question is, and maybe Dave, you have more of an insight into this, is that why isn't Disney paying someone like Matthew money to make stuff like this? Like why isn't there more of an emphasis? Because clearly with that Disney Plus streaming service, if they had an entire subcategory around stuff like this, it'd be a, especially things like Horizons 20,000 Leagues, where they don't have to worry about people trying to sneak into it like Wonders of Life. There's no liability there anymore. Uh, Why don't they do things like that? Why don't they try to cater to that audience? Well, you answered it yourself. It's money. You is know, that what it is? It's, it's what it is. It, the fan base for that just isn't big enough to warrant their time to put out something cool. But if they turn around and they put out a Horizon style costume for Duffy the fucking bear, <laughs> you know, <laughs> God, they'll sell a, a billion of them, you know, but they but, but no one would buy a video of the making of that ride or anything like that. Not enough people, you know. But my thing but, is, yeah. that, like I brought Duffy up, the, uh, Duffy the Bear can be running around in the future. <laughs> but oh my god, I hate that thing. No, no, no. I think, um, I think, I think. Here's what I would like to believe. I would like to believe, and not to toot my own horn too much, but I would really like to change that. That was like the whole point of making this, is because I remember. For me, it was watching Defunct Land and specifically watching their videos on Euro Disneyland and Disney's America. 
And I remember getting so excited about those two videos and showing them to other people and saying, see, you can tell really engaging, gripping stories about Disney park history. There is stuff out there that is interesting about this, uh, about this stuff. And there's interesting ways of telling it. And there's ways of telling it with high production quality. And so I'm hoping, and especially with my next project that I'm working on, which I told Dave about, but I will not disclose in this podcast. (laughs) I think, and especially because we are getting Disney people involved with this one, and it is about something defunct that from the Disney parks, I think that this might change things. I'm that's what I'm really hoping. I'm really hoping that we can capture more people's attention and this time really captures Disney's attention and really get them to listen. If well, it really yeah. becomes big enough and if it's and if the product is good enough, I think they'll start to they'll look at that and then they'll see the demand kind of the way that I did. And they'll go, hey, you know what? Maybe we really should start investing more into our nostalgia, more than we already do. Leo DiCaprio and Kate <laughs> Winslet as Hoot and Chief. I want the yeah, story by credit on that. If anyone can do it, Matthew, it's you. Man, good luck. I, I wish you would, because I would watch it endlessly. There's so many stories out there. So, anyways, sorry. Oh, go, yeah. go on with your next question. Oh no, that but that's my question though, and that's well. This is my thing: is that it was a defunct land video, the one I was referencing. He did a a I don't know, fifteen minute long video on the Nickelodeon Hotel in Orlando. It has like three million views, and I looked at that and I'm like, there's no story. I could probably, it's not that there's no story there, but there's nothing. It's not Hoot and Chief. There's nothing sexy about that story. It's just there and my yeah. thing is that if, yeah. if defunct land can do it matthew if you can do it like i can't i, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth and please correct me if you're wrong if i'm wrong but this didn't cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars to make did it it did not and that's my thing though is that if you can make something as excellent as you did in 25 minutes and yes disney would have to skate a fine line like a a chief and hoot story because there is a a liability aspect there but I, again, I don't want to, this will be the final, final word on it. It's just, it's there. It's very cost efficient. And they have so much archival footage that us as uh, yokels, as the outsiders, don't have. Like those archives, I mean, I've heard the stories about those archives and what's in there that people would die to look at just once, never mind have it as something readily accessible, like on the Disney streaming service. And that'd be a, like you, I absolutely agree with you, Dave, for 30 bucks, which is why I think I paid for a lot of those extinct attractions club DVDs. Uh, that stuff. No, no one's going to spend 30 bucks for a DVD, but on the Disney streaming service, that is a very cheap thing to produce. And I mean, I, I mean, let me rephrase yeah. it. Not cheap cost effective thing to put on there. Yeah. You don't want to shoot. cheap has a connotation to and a stigma, which doesn't do these videos justice, but I feel that's, that's the perfect venue for this. And like you said, Matthew, obviously you won't tell me what you're working on, but that is a hundred percent the platform it should be on bypass YouTube. And plus think about YouTube. I don't know if your video is monetized, but think about it. YouTube is making money off basically a Disney story. Why not, if you're Disney, cut YouTube out and let Disney and the creators in this hypothetical scenario, you, let you guys make the money? And that's what's so weird about, like you were saying too, Dave, it's like a, a uh, Duffy Bear 
with a Horizons costume or with a Captain Nemo costume. <laughs> it's like it's a license to print money. And yes, selling a bear for thirty four ninety nine is a lot different than a video on a streaming service. But considering <laughs> how money hungry Disney is, uh, it's an opportunity that's just waiting to be plundered. Well, I think, yeah, I think first so. of all, to to address the uh, Defunctland thing, I think what Kevin does is brilliant, and I think that. Um, what he, what he has to do is hard because he has to, you know, constantly be churning out like content to meet this demand. And it's these hoot and chief stories aren't just readily available online. You know, I was very lucky to come across it. And as a matter of fact, I'll, I'll, I'll even I'm sure they'll be fine with me. Yes, they'll definitely be fine because, I mean, she even made this public. But Jenny Nicholson and Kevin from Defunctland both had hoot and chief stories like they were working on them when my video wow. came out yeah they were uh. both working on their own separate hoot and chief horizons documentaries and then they both were just like well <laughs> this guy made it oh, and he made it great so i guess go check it out which i felt so bad but also took as the biggest compliment because because i look up to the two of them so much but yeah um, i watch those videos you know, with that being said, I'm really glad that you addressed that about the archives because I think that's very, very important. I think that I think you nailed it right there. It's the problem is a lot of these stories that are so interesting and engaging and intriguing, a lot of it's lost in those archives. It's really not online, and that's especially the case with the thing I'm working on right now. The thing I'm working on right now, the everyone that experienced this specific niche thing is active can talk about it there's like a few photos about it but all of the footage is in the archives somewhere mm. which is tr tricky because it's like how how do we get to that you know what i mean so i that that's, that's kind of why i'm uh, that's why i was saying saying like i think i'm hoping that with my next thing i can really kind of bust down those doors and really get disney's attention and well and really start to tap into that because i mean i remember there was a d23 the two d23s ago they had an entire exhibit where they were just like here's the old captain rex animatronic and like here's the old phantasmic dragon and it was just only a couple of things and the line for that was stupid long it was oh, insane yeah. it was the most crowded thing that expo and so i don't know i i feel like disney knows but like they're they don't really know, and so that's why we need to get their attention. One thing nobody realizes about Maze of Verde Times is the amount of high level Disney people that privately wrote us and said, "You guys kick ass," and I'm talking like big shots. I don't want to mention too many names, but I mean we. We got invited out to Pixar. I got an open invitation to go there whenever I want, you know, and hang out with those guys because they, they were just so into it. But all levels of of the Disney company, I mean, people I, I saw on TV, you know, are saying to us, oh, you guys are great. You ever out this way, you know, drop by and see me or whatever. And man, Imagineers, tons of Imagineers. You should tell you should tell Zach about um, a certain Easter egg that was kind of nodded your guys' way in the Pixar movie. Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, Toy Story three. 
they actually named the daycare that the toys live in after my wife's code name, Sunnyside. Oh, so wow. Sunnyside. How about that? <laughs> yeah. And they wrote me and said, hey, we just did this. So when the movie comes out, you can check it out. And by God, there it was. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> so, <laughs> so, okay, Dave, I have to ask you, when you were snooping around or having your shenanigans back during the 90s, could you ever imagine that uh, at that point, Toy Story was, what, a couple years old, that how many years later your your wife's nickname would be the name of the daycare from Toy Story, the sequel? No, uh, I guess that. I would have never that, guessed Wow. Like that's that's the crazy thing about this. And that's what the juxtaposition of this from what you guys did to Matt Sansua. And like you're already saying, Matthew, there was a code, but I think a lot of it is intent. Like you said, he Matt is a uh to be a rather oh god, callous, he's a fame whore. I think that's the easiest way to call him. <laughs> I, I would agree with that. Every oh my gosh, and my friend was ripping into him about that. He was like she was like, every video is just him turning the camera to himself, going, make sure you subscribe, make sure you follow my Insta. And it's like, I didn't come here for you, dude. Turn the camera around so I can see <laughs> where you're exploring. Yeah, yeah, we want to see the landscape. Come on. Yeah, what that's, are you doing? And that's, But that's the difference, though. I think that's where, um, again, Dave, you'll get the accolade from the insiders, and he won't. Because what you were doing, and, and again, uh, getting off on a Disney attraction, you've said it in the blog, Matthew, you say it in your video, it's dangerous. Like you have the injuries to prove it. Oh uh, yeah. But there's a goal behind it. And the goal was, it's an altruistic goal. It's that, okay, we want to uh, not even preserve it. It's just have it on record. And with him, like, I think his latest video, he's climbing Thunder Mountain. And it's like, what is the point of that? Like, all you're going to do is either you're going to break something that might do something to the ride that might hurt people that are riding it the next morning. It's like, it's like, oh, God. Or one of the security guards chasing after you is going to hurt themselves. Exactly. Someone's going to get hurt. Like, when he's snooping around Cranium Command, if he slips and splits his head open, that's his own fault. But yeah. if you do something that affects other people, that's the thing that bothers me. It's it's it, and that's what he's doing though. Like if he really wanted to be, um, oh god, like go do something. So I'm trying to think because Disney doesn't even really have that many again outside of the river countries, the Discovery Islands. There really isn't anything that's truly, oh god, uh, sexy and abandoned anymore. Like pretty much everything. Again, there's no more twenty thousand leagues on. A, you have a yeah, giant lagoon right. sitting there. Um, there's really nothing like that. I guess you could go to the Odyssey. I, I don't know if that's sexy to Disney fans anymore. But uh, it's, yeah. yeah, not really. <laughs> Thank you. you. Know, Thank if, you if for you, saying that. You know, talking about all this, like a good example I can think of, there's a scene that I included in the documentary, not because I thought it was particularly interesting or that it showed anything that people would go like, oh, wow, look at that. It was just a small moment that I really wanted to have in there. And it's like you watch a Matt Sands video and it's all about like wow look at this crazy right and but it's like it's like it's like all surface level stuff and it's all like this is so dangerous oh that's so creepy and then like the part that i am referring to in my documentary is i included a part where when they first start exploring in the rafters and you can hear chief geeking out over discovering an effect that he never saw before and he's like, yeah. look at that, man. Like, there's like a x-ray thing. And then it's going like, blue, 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 blue. Oh, that's so yeah. cool. <laughs> and yeah, I, that dude, and I he would get so excited. Like, I never paid attention to that shit on that screen, on that health scan. 
I never looked up and actually saw the little, you know, the the, the projector doing that stuff. I guess I never did either. That's cool as shit, man. There's like, like nothing significant about that. There's nothing crazy about that. It's just you can just see the humanity and just the fandom, the fanboy right there. Yeah, you can I just love see the love for the art things. and the love of the discovery of those things and appreciation of no, the things look. you can't see when you're writing. Holy fuck, man. Holy fuck, man. Look at. Oh, oh, I can see the holy fuck. You know, he was just so yeah. he was so into he was it. It was so awesome. Hyped. And it's so infectious when you watch it, when you watch the videos, <laughs> and when you watch the talk. And so that's why I included that moment, is because I really wanted to separate you guys from, like, the Matt Sanchez of the world. This is like, yeah, it's going bloop, bloop, bloop. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah. yeah, but that's that's the key to all this, though. And even again, I, and why I say these things? I'm not being, uh, I'm not deprecating on anybody else, though. But again, I, I've talked to. Um, Kevin from uh, Defunct Land. I've had him on my Star Wars podcast a couple of times. In his videos, is that it's it's sterile. Like it's a, it's it's so it's more informative. It's like and I get that, but yeah, that's dry. Yeah, but I think that's what makes this special. And like Dave was saying too, Matt Matthew, is that you're the key to all this because you have you somehow get the heart to this. And I think that's what's going to differentiate the, the Defunct Lands from you is that. You understand the story of it all. And like, again, and, and it's really, it's not that you just stumbled into it. Anyway, can say, oh, he just, it's his first one of doing these publicly. Um, who knows? It, it's a fluke. But no, because there is so much information there. And I used to be really big into Defunct Land. I kind of just gave up because it reminded me of the Extinct Attractions Club where it's just like, oh, here are the facts. Here are the facts. Here are the facts. And it's a bunch of stock footage that you can find in places here and there, but there isn't that through line. And then even like Matt Swanson, which already kind of we crapped on him too. But like I've he I've seen him interview on different podcasts, and he's like, I don't really care about Disney. I don't have I don't have the yeah. love for it. I don't care what happens to me. I'm like, dude, you are <laughs> shooting yourself in the foot. I've with noticed that too. It's all of his credibility is just out the window. Yeah, you exactly. just destroyed your fan base. You know. Precisely. It really, right. it really is. It's like, even, it's like that uh it's like that Jimmy Buffett song where Jimmy Buffett says, Glad I don't live in a trailer. Well, nice, you just alienated <laughs> your whole your whole goddamn fan base, man. <laughs> what are you doing, Jimmy? It really know. it's 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 fascinating how people think. That's why I think I, I don't know how I know Matt's been arrested a few times. Uh I, oh. I don't know not arrested, excuse me. He's been detained a few times. And I don't know why again I, I I I guess maybe YouTube's cutting him a better deal than everybody else, but uh, I, you know what? God bless him for just for his own health. He doesn't hurt himself or hurt anybody else. But uh, whoever helps him sleep at night. Let uh, me but, um. <laughs> let me go back to the uh, the hater thing because I got a sure. good story for you. The biggest hate we ever got from Maze of Verde Times wasn't just fans going, "Oh, you guys are stupid. You're you're being jerks. Whatever." It was from the designer of the ride himself, uh, George McGinnis. Really? Yeah, oh. somebody passes this shit on the George McGinnis and his family. And uh, he had a daughter, a guy, what was her name, Megan or something, who served as the model for the, the little blonde girl in the scuba scene. Oh, yeah. You know, these are like George McGinnis's children or grandchildren were used as models for those kids, right? So it, it was a very personal ride for him. It was something he was, you know, really in charge of at Imagineering. But, uh, man, they hated us. They hated us for doing that. 
that. And uh, the girl actually said, it's like you go on vacation, you come home, and 10 years later, you see videos online of people sneaking through your house. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I try to explain to her, you know, look, they're about to tear down your father's creation. That's why we did what we did. It wasn't malicious. It's, It's no way against you guys. You know, we we wanted to preserve your your dad's stuff, but they never got it, man. They just hated us to the end. So it's funny about that is I don't know, Dave, if you saw this comment on the video, but Mr. Steve Alcorn commented. Oh yeah. And he said, I worked in the design of the original Horizons. It was a great attraction. Thanks for this wonderful and touching documentary. Now Steve Alcorn uh, for you Disney theme park fan nerds. Arguably his biggest contribution is that he came up with the system for like sound in the parks. Like the next time that you're watching a parade at like a Disney theme park and you notice that the sound is slowly traveling to you and away from you, he came up with that system that is implemented in all rides and all parade shows now in every Disney park. And yeah, like one right. of the first times I was implemented, I guess, was in Horizons. Yeah, to uh, beam the sound to your car. <laughs> yeah. You know, so there would and, be a, a wired connection. And so, yeah, he, he, he reached out and he, he loved what you guys did and what I did with the documentary. So it's not you know all hate, people. It's not all hate. <laughs> no, I actually know that guy. And he doesn't even know I'm Hoot Gibson because he went into <laughs> business. Yeah, he went into business doing... Uh, animatronic control systems and like lighting control systems and and like you're saying audio with Alcorn McBride was the name of the company they're still around and uh I used to work at a place that did the animatronics for Rainforest Cafe and they used Alcorn McBride and he he used to come over to the shop all the time so so it's weird you know (laughs) that is it's a small world ain't it it is a small world it really Uh, is Oh man, these stories just tickle me, folks. It, it's it's fantastic. I love the again because you're telling the story, Dave. I'm like, oh, the creator of Horizons. I'm like, oh, he's gonna say he's gonna say George McGinnis, right? And yeah. It's like, oh God, it's like hated us, man. <laughs> That's such a bummer. Yeah, I guess so. But it's like, man, come on. Yeah, get off. Like like we were saying before, get off your high horse. Yeah, I will say we, the one story that it. I have like with hate directed towards me about the video is. There is a dude, I'm not even going to mention the article, but if you look up Mesa Verde Times, it's going to come up pretty soon, like in your search results. Because for the longest time, it was like one of the few times that someone decided to retell your guys' story. And the guy who wrote that article actually tried to come after me in my Instagram DMs like a week after the video came out, claiming that I had plagiarized his article and that I should give him credit in my documentary. And I read as I read further, what was so ridiculous about his claims was because he was saying, like, you know, this, this, the way that we told the story is so similar. And I'm like, you copied the same blog that I copied, dude. What are you trying to say? <laughs> like, if anything, like Dave should be coming after both of us. This is ridiculous. And it was so funny because he the way that i shut him down was he tried claiming this is so oh my god i was so mad about this he tried giving me proof this is like keep in mind this is like me reading the messages for the first time i hadn't even responded to him yet 
And he's like, I have proof. The proof that I have is that in the documentary, you said that afterwards they would go back to their boring desk jobs. Now, in my article, I wrote mind-numbing desk jobs. Here's the thing. In, in the Mesa Verde blog, they never mentioned what kind of jobs they worked at. For all I know, they could have worked at a bank or at a Burger King. So there is my proof, and I know that you must have stolen my article, and I deserve credit. And I just responded with a screen cap of the blog where they yeah. clearly say boring desk jobs, and I'm like, dude, go away. Yeah, you, you guys want to know what we were doing at the time that was so boring? Uh, I, shoot. I worked at a video game company here in Orlando called Endspace. And uh, they're famous for making the worst game in GT Interactive history, which was Bug Riders. <laughs> but I was actually working on the Rugrats PlayStation game as a as lead animator, and I I wanted to kill myself because I hated <laughs> it so much. <laughs> the only thing that kept me alive was looking at the Horizons pictures. But the best part is Chief was working night shift. Get this, as of a uh, phone support guy for the talking Barbie doll. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah. And he wanted to kill himself too. So <laughs> yeah, we, basically the only thing that saved us was being able to look at our stuff. And, and if, and if you manage to get a copy of the Rugrats search for Reptar game, it lists me as lead animator. And it also, uh, in the secret credits, there's a picture of me on the couch in the uh, Nova site scene with the animatronic mother, because that's what I was doing at the time. So I put it in the secret credits. Okay, Dave. So if I get a copy of this video game and send it to you, will you autograph it for me? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Oh, if you, you okay. want to spend more than five cents on it. <laughs> <laughs> I might go out and buy a PlayStation tonight just to get, just to be able to play this game. So I get to the credits. Oh my God. My kid's in the games and I showed that to him one time and he was like, Oh dad, that's, that's, <laughs> That's a shame. Oh, Dad, what's a what's a rugrat? Yeah. Oh man, that's that's something, Dad. <laughs> you know. Oh, but the, you know what else? He he watched Matthew's video. Uh, Matt, we're around the same said, age, aren't we? He's he's about to be nineteen. Oh, I'm twenty. So yeah, close enough. Yeah, he uh, you know, he's grown up around me talking about Maze of Verde times. He he was very good friends with Ed. You know, he just loved it when he would come over because they would talk about Minecraft and stuff. But uh, he really didn't get the whole thing until he saw your video like two weeks ago. And he sat down and he watched the whole thing with me. And he's like, that's epic. That's <laughs> I had no idea that you guys did this. You know, and so that, that was cool because he got to reconnect with old Uncle Ed. You know, watching that wow. stuff, and I don't know. That means kinda the gave, world. Like, hearing stuff like that, to, to me, just means the world to me. Kind of gave his old man some cred, you know? Like, damn, Dad, you had some balls. Hell yeah. <laughs> now you're old, you're perhaps through ribbon, but <laughs> you could actually jump out of a ride vehicle. Disney, are you hearing this? Because yeah. okay, these two guys know a lot of Disney people. Disney, I am a paying consumer. I don't have Netflix. I don't have Hulu. I will give you money to give these guys money to make this stuff. Yeah, oh, bring it yeah. out. Come, yeah. come on, Disney. Hire Dave as a consultant. Matthew is the creator. 
Come on, folks. You got it. You got I'm it. I am broke. Hire me. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I'm an independent documentary filmmaker. You can't get any more broke than that. <laughs> I have some questions for you, Dave. About This is the part where I have some Horizons questions, which you've probably been asked a million times, so forgive me. But no, it's all right. The state of the condition of the building, the structure of Horizons, as you guys probably know, there's the infamous story. There was a sinkhole underneath the building, and that's why they had to uh, demolish it. Uh, but as I was rewatching Matthew's video, I went through Mesa Verde times, uh, the year that they closed it down, but during that kind of limbo of, they had to reopen it because they shut down universe of energy in world of motion. And in a couple of shots, you show the water damage and how bad the roof was leaking. So my yeah. question is, obviously the structure had problems, but was that there since the, uh, the creation of the building and just the structure caused those or was it because they kind of left the building there to kind of with no maintenance for a year and that just kind of compounded the problems up until the late 90s mm. yeah what happened was GE stopped sponsoring that ride so it was it was running without a sponsor and Disney really relies on those people to give them money to, to operate rides you know it's basically like buying commercial space and as soon as Horizon stopped getting that funding, they just kind of started letting it go. They didn't want to spend the money to fix the roof and all that. And you know the whole the whole sinkhole thing is total horseshit. There, it's just not true. You know they they did the same thing on Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. They said, "Oh, it's it's old and it's leaking into the Magic Kingdom tunnel system," and it's not anywhere near the Magic Kingdom tunnel system. You know, and there was never a leak. It's, it's just an excuse to, you know, I, I guess to put fans off and, you know, say, well, we had to do it. It's a safety thing, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's just not true. They, they let it go. They let it fall into disrepair. That's why the ceiling tiles were falling off and stuff and all that water damage. And they, they wanted to build that new building with Mission Space, so they just tore it down. And cool. there was an outcry. and. They had to come up with stuff, so it's just not true at all. Y'all you know, cool probably getting the real tea on Cinemonides. <laughs> hey, man, <laughs> I've been as someone who's been again back when I was a sophomore in high school and I'm watching my Extinct Attractions Club thing, and there's like two, it's like a 12 minute long documentary, and that's kind of all the information on, on it that there is at the time. And then how many years later you get to talk to the guys that got to explore it firsthand? You have no idea how much this means and how much this is it's firsthand information. Like, like you say, oh, even, yeah. um, you say in the blog, it's like, think about it in 2083, there's only going to be a handful of people that actually wrote horizon still walking around. Yeah. As corny as that is the sound you got, you got documented. And this is one of those things where it, it, weirdly enough, it is documenting it's continuation of the legacy. Here's another point about the building being dangerous and on a sinkhole and that they made it all up. You know, years ago, they made up the, the whole thing about the Skyway ride in Fantasyland so dangerous that they got to take it down. It wasn't that they didn't want to maintain the tops of the buildings anymore so you didn't see them filthy. <laughs> you know, it's that, it was dangerous. It kills people. And now they're making a, a cable car system throughout the whole damn property. That's the same thing as the Skyway. You know? Yeah, I, I can't figure that one out. I, I, I remember when that was announced, I kind of scratched my head and I'm like, that's clearly somebody's wishful thinking. And yeah. God damn it, they're actually doing it. Uh, I, yeah, but yet it's such a dangerous system that they had to take it out of the Magic Kingdom. 
Oh, please. Uh, but okay, that's actually another question I want to bring up with you is the uh, again when Horizons closed for the first time, and you guys were kind of like, okay, what are we gonna do? Was that during this time period when Dis- this was the Eisner era of shutting attractions down? Was you just shut an attraction down one day? There was no warning. Like I think twenty thousand right. leagues is the, the most infamous story. Which just one day it wasn't working. It was oh well, we'll, we'll refurbish it. Yeah. And then a decade later, later they drained it. Uh, but the thing I think is interesting. I wonder, Dave, if you know something about this. Is now when attractions close, we get what at least a month or two's notice. Yeah. And on top yep. of it, with things that are very horizon, or I guess tangible attractions whether it be great movie ride or ellen's energy adventure during the last ride through they stopped the ride they let people get out and actually do a hoot and chief exploration of it all that's pretty cool i gotta i gotta admit that's pretty neat <laughs> you know i wish i did that but i, I wish wondered, i was on the universe of energy one but i wonder do you think you your guys' story has influenced those sort of policies going forward oh yeah i think so Yep, and they also run backstage tours of um, attractions like Haunted Mansion and Pirates for cast members so that they don't have to go in there and sneak around. They can sign up to be on one of these tours after hours. There's an interest about it, you know, and people want to see that, especially if you're an employee at Disney. I mean, chances are you're there because you love the place. So, yeah, they want to sneak around. Yeah, but they can do it sa- in a safe manner. Okay, this is a question I have about, obviously, when you guys got found out that one time, that one time where the maintenance worker found you. Oh, yeah. I was, I was thinking about that. Obviously, the brilliant idea of hiding back 10 cars from your pursuers. I was wondering, because I know a couple of the uh, photos you took, you actually went around the pavilion of, of Horizons, and you showed like all the, like some of the doors. I think one of the doors was what, kind of like a... Uh, plywood over uh when they were looking for you in the ride that time is there anywhere else that they would have like the conventional wisdom is they would have figured you and chief would have snuck out a back door maybe because obviously they didn't find you so they didn't figure out your plan yeah i i think you're right i think they did check those doors there was a there was a main tunnel that ran through the entire building we called it the main vein sometimes you know but it was like this main uh, maintenance tunnel offices down there and stuff like that. And you could, you could access it from pretty much anywhere in the ride. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think they, they really bet that we would run out of there, especially if we were employees, if we'd have been cast members, you know, like they probably thought we were just goofing off in there. They would have staked out that door on that tunnel. First thing. I don't think they expected us to ride out of the ride. Yeah, and that's why so, I kind of figured because I because I know because that was my question because like they went looking for you and the thing I thought was interesting the first time I watched it was they gave up. I'm like I'm waiting for them like okay they would they would eventually send somebody out because I know you guys locked the door and I'm like okay how are they going to get out of this because because obviously like you said it's Horizons if you haven't ridden the ride which I've never have it's one of those things that's really hard to get the geography of that building. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, it's. And I'm, so I'm like, okay, how would, how would, if I am a Disney person, and I'm looking at this in a very black and white sense, like, okay, entrance, exit. And it's just, I, I was just always fascinated by that. And I figured they had some sort of main thoroughfare in that, like, like most buildings or structures, there's usually a, like you said, an artery that kind of connects yeah. everything. 
And I just, I, I have not come across that. I was even, I think, in the uh, Martin's vid, the Martin Smith documentary, or I guess Ultimate Tribute is what he calls them. I was looking for that because he has a really good diagram of the building. And I'm like, okay, I really couldn't tell. So thank you for shedding light on that. That was a, that was a big question mark for me. Yeah, some guy uh, actually sent us some blueprints of the building. I can't remember why we we were trade blueprints with some Disney collector, and he said, "Oh, you guys interested in Horizons?" And we're like, "Hell yeah!" And it it showed the tunnel and everything. Yeah, but it was really hard to figure that building out because it was technically what three stories, and you couldn't tell what overlapped what from the blueprints, but you could always see that main tunnel. And you know, thinking back, it probably would have been halfway smart to try to utilize it more, but. It led into a, a backstage area. Mm-hmm. So you, you ran that risk, you know? Because that's usually what people think. You try to sneak in out the back door. That's usually what yeah. most people think. And you guys literally were, were hiding more, le- or you were sneaking in in plain sight. Right. Yeah, right under their nose, really. Yeah. Uh, I guess another question I have would be, um, obviously, after you were harassed by the McGinnis family, did you ever ask either, again, you have connections, any Imagineers that created horizons why there was such a lack of security in the uh pavilion no i I never found out i never found out and it's weird because you know when we were in high school and stuff we used to go to the parks and goof off like everybody else you know jump out of vehicles and we knew there were pressure mats on the floor by the omni mover rides you know most of them like haunted mansion and stuff you know if you step on those the ride shuts down they know exactly what mat got triggered and they'll come in there with flashlights whatever but for the life of me i can't figure out why horizons didn't have something in place and you know the first couple times we wrote it and we were just filming the scenes because we thought that's all we were ever going to get it occurred to us you know what's keeping us in the cars we started waving our arms out out in front of the car like is there a, a invisible beam that can tell, that can pick up motion. You know, there's obviously no mats on the ground because you could see those. And it, it was just weird, man. It was like, we, we figured there has to be something. And it's got to be something that we don't know about because we, we don't see anything. And then one day, Chief was like, fuck it, I'm doing it. And he was like the first man on the moon. He just jumped right out of the ride vehicle. And we expected it to shut down right then. And nothing happened. And we we realized, man, you know, there's really nothing keeping us in the cars now. We never found out why. I, I was reading some stuff, again, the comment section, which if anybody's listening to this, once you've watched the documentary, go to Mesa Verde Times in the on top of the articles, the comment sections are just as good. And I know Matthew pulled from that for a lot of the content of his short in yes, that. I did. Uh, that's that was another, that's another brilliant part because as I'm, wa- I'm reading the comment section and there's just as much knowledge there was that a lot of people were comparing what you guys did with Horizons to uh, World of Motion in Spaceship Earth, and there people were trying to figure out saying, wait, how would this work on those rides? But and I know with Spaceship Earth, you're obviously going up, you're you're inclining, you're declining most of the time, and, yeah. and it, it'd be harder to do that. But that was another thing, too, is that apparently, again, maybe, Dave, you know, but in the comment section, there seemed to have been some agreement that those rides had a little bit more security on them than Horizons because they were part well, of the day one experience. You know what they did have? They had the honor system a lot 
heavier than Horizons. I mean, think about it. When you're riding Spaceship Earth, you're out in the open. You're sitting in a little car, but an entire string of other cars, other guests can see you at all times. Where Horizons was like you were sitting in a phone booth by yourself, you know, with blinds on on either side of you. So I think they relied pretty heavy on um, in Spaceship Earth and World of Motion. Like other people will see you doing that. And, you know, with the pressure mats, that should be enough. And they didn't account for Horizons. You know, even if, even if someone was only two cars away from you and they're sitting back in their seat, they, they couldn't see you. The blinds on either side, you know, it wasn't an open Omnimover vehicle. We jumped out of out of Spaceship Earth anyway. <laughs> you know, I, got oh. a, I got a picture of me up there on the Greek stage, you know, with the little tiny actor guy. Because we just well, jumped out. I know you hint about it in the um, in some of the posts in the blog, but it's like, oh, we did this on other rides too. And I know you're coy about which ones you did with and not. I was really expecting during like the last few posts on the blog, it'd be you and Chief with some flippers. Like, and then wait until we tell you next time we went and explored twenty thousand leagues under the sea. I was just kind of yeah, I did for- that too. <laughs> I did that too. Did yeah. you really? Yeah, it's in uh, episode or issue two of my comic book series from Bamboo Publishing. You can see where uh, me and Mike Lee from Widen Your World actually snuck in the building. But when they when they finally drained 20,000 leagues, the next day I was in there with a pair of waiters because I was working as a contractor out there and, I, and a respirator on me because of the fish smell. There were fish in it, dead, everywhere. Really? And Yeah, and I actually walked the entire track and took pictures. But there were, like, really big fish in there. It sat for how long? Over 10 years as a lake? You know? Wow. Oh and, I, you know, kicking these huge carp and shit out of the way and trying not to gag and trying not to slip down the the ride track and stuff. <laughs> well, I, I have to ask, were you, uh, again, were you the one who sent the pictures to 20kride.com? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of them. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. Oh my lord, my folks, this is okay. We have a joke on this podcast. We play the mind blowing sound. We're gonna play it right now. Uh, we're breaking new ground. This is you have no again. The twenty k ride website's kind of the foundation with me and the uh, extinct attractions thing. Like back to like the mid two thousands. Oh man, I, I've spent so much time on that website. Oh man, this is so. This, oh man, this is called meeting oh, yeah, your heroes. It was fantastic. Folks. This is called meeting your. This is meeting your heroes, folks. This, this is kind of like the pinnacle of cinematis. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> no, that's not true. Oh, you we're gonna, unless, again. It's gonna be hard to top this at the very least. But uh, that okay. Uh, oh God, tw- so many twenty thousand leagues under the sea questions. So I've heard so many stories about that ride, but I'll be here for for years if we continue on that topic. So Matthew, I have some questions. Some more questions for you in your film. Alrighty. How long is the rough cut? That's a good question. Um, I think the very first cut that I made was fifty minutes long. Which is exactly two times the length of what it is now. Okay, and the, so, the version, literally, like, the week before I uploaded it, um, it was, like, 32 minutes. I cut, like, like, seven minutes out. And the biggest reason why I cut out seven minutes was because of the fact that for the longest time, I felt like I needed to um, explain to people what Horizons was. So there's an entire seven minutes where it was very much like a defunct land video. 
where it was like kind of my interpretation of like rushing you through horizons and showing you what it was. And then I remember I was looking for inspiration for certain things and I watched a documentary. See, it was hard finding inspiration for my doc because this doesn't really happen a lot. There's not really a lot of documentaries out there that are just archival footage. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff where you interview people and you cut from the interviews to the archival footage. But there's nothing really out there where it's just the archival footage on its own. So in my searching for inspiration, I came across some documentary where they did this like nine multi-panel sort of window with like all these different videos playing all over the place. Look to kind of get across like a big point. And I was like, what if I just did that with all of the images that Disney provides of the Horizons ride and then just those fade into like ride through footage. And so what was like a six minute, seven minute intro of this is, by the way, for those who don't know, this is Horizons. You start off in the line, you go here and you go there, became like a 10 second thing where it was just this like, you know, you'd get like a one one little look and glimpse at this ride and then the idea behind the rest of the doc would be well it'd be more fun for you if you don't know anything about this ride to discover the ride slowly over time along with Hooten Chief. So if you notice that's kind of why the documentary, the order that it's in now, the way that it's told now, is you like start off in the easy living section and you you see all the easy living stuff in the beginning and then you move further into the ride as you go on. That's kind of why I took all of the stuff of them. A suggestion that my friend Adam Velasquez made was he was like, you should take all of the stuff of them exploring up like when they go see the above of the track, when they see uh, when they go through the yellow hallways and when they go into the rafters. He's like, you should make that its own section and put it later on and almost have it be like this logical. They're working their way through and up through the ride so that that way we're not revisiting any sections of the ride and it growing stale. It's efficient storytelling. It really there's there's not an ounce of fat on your film. I'm glad that you acknowledge that because that's something very recently that I'm uh, kind of acknowledging about myself. And and I've talked about this. The last the last two movies I went to go see in theaters with friends was I just saw Into the Spider Verse last night, and then last week I saw Roma. And I was talk- talking about that with my friends, where I was like, "Yeah, I'm starting to realize that like something something that I really appreciate and that like I hold movies to is." Not their ability to hold my attention, but yes, exactly that. Their efficiency of storytelling. You have the medium. How are you using the medium? And how are you using your timing? Because there are ways to tell really engaging stories slowly. But at the same time, a lot of films take slow filmmaking and slow storytelling as like a means of like a higher art, which I disagree with that. I disagree, too. I think it's way yeah, harder to maintain people's attention, especially when it's a YouTube video and you're asking some random stranger, hey, you don't know anything about this ride. You don't know anything about the story. Why don't you just sit down for 25 minutes and let me take you on a journey? Yeah, and then they can go on their own discovery 
afterward if they're interested in it and they can go find out other things online or they you know? can be bored with my video and turn it off you know a minute in or you know, they could, could cry because you made them all cry <laughs> <laughs> which is what <laughs> I why don't you all go and cry about it <laughs> yeah I, I i'm glad i'm glad that you appreciated that I'm oh yeah because my very first note i made um while i was starting to rewatch it was um opening the nine title of uh, the tiles that was the first thing i noticed i'm like wow he's boiled down the essence of this ride to like you said uh what was that scene last 15 maybe 20 seconds where you see all the yeah. different images of horizons and because even going back to again not to keep comparing this to defunct land that's that's not my goal here but considering that's that's the gold standard now in history disney docs uh, i remember again this was years ago i talked to kevin i this was when he was first getting started and i said are you going to ever attempt some of the more classic extinct attractions like horizons 20k and he's like i want to do horizons but i don't know how to do it in a way that's fresh and unique and I told him, well, again, this is my opinion. My advice was give it your own flavor, your own analysis. Don't just regurgitate what, what everybody else knows. And that's how you get people because, again, most Disney fans know the history of Horizons. I know I clicked on your video. I knew that history. And But again, like I've already said a few times and we've discussed it, is that it's that very unique uh, presentation of it all. That is rare because a lot of YouTube, again, it's YouTube because it's a lot of it's amateur, not most, but a nice portion of it is that you have people who don't understand editing. You have people who really, it's just, oh, I like this topic. I'm going to make video. If you went through the list of the top 30 YouTubers right now, I guarantee you all of them, their knowledge of editing does not go past iMovie. I can guarantee it. <laughs> it's shocking. But also at the same time, like, I think that it's important for, and if there's any budding young filmmakers, which sounds weird for me saying, because I'm a buddy <laughs> filmmaker, I definitely am still waiting for my break. But like that being said, if there's anyone who's like, oh, I'm just starting off in this stuff, like, I guess there's like, there's a lot to be said about, you know, people just being good at just storytelling in general, like regardless of well, the tools or their knowledge of the tools. It's well, interesting. Here's, here's I know that, um, the lady who edited Force Awakens, the episode seven Star Wars, she had never edited on a computer before. She had only done linear editing. It was her first time non-linear editing something. So she had to learn uh, the software. I believe it was, it wasn't Premiere. It was um, uh, Avid. She was cutting on Avid. And that was her first time cutting on Avid on a computer ever. She's handed the next Star Wars film. And guess what? what she got nominated for an oscar for it so i don't know i i i, I do i do see what you're saying though about like the like it's kind of crazy how there's so many people out here on youtube especially the more successful people that yeah just like have no knowledge of just a lot of these production quality type things like they have very basic kind of skills when it comes to like lighting they have like a very basic understanding about cameras and editing i don't know it, it is interesting i've thought about me, that a lot myself let me throw this in there let me throw this in there um the the cool part about what you've done here is you say you know people watch it and and they know what horizons was like in the first place but there's all these comments on your video of people that don't give a shit about disney you know and they don't they right. don't idea of what the ride was or anything but they're still affected they they still find it amazing because 
it's a great story. They they don't know who the hell Hoot and Chief are. They don't know horizons from a hole in the ground. But here's this adventure, but it's about the friends, you know? And the way you put it together, they're touched by it. They're moved by it. Which right. is amazing. You're, you told such a fresh, clean story that even people who have no idea what the movie's about are moved. So I mean, that's that's your skill, man, right there. If you keep I, that up through your whole career, you're you're gonna be just fine. I know. I'm never gonna forget this conversation. <laughs> so yeah, I think I think they're definitely, and that was my biggest thing is I really wanted to separate myself from just the, the YouTube crowd of reading off the wiki page. I really wanted people to watch it and think it was a film. And that's what I thought was amazing was when I was reading the comments, like there was like, besides the title at the beginning saying remain seated, please. Uh There is no directed by, there is no credits. There is no mention of a documentary. The word documentary was never on that video, but all the comments are fantastic doc. Amazing doc. This is a great documentary. So I'm totally relieved that that work and the effort that I put into it came across. You know what you did? You you made um, the equivalent of a Mike Tyson fight. Ding! The <laughs> bell rings. He gets in there. He beats the shit out of the guy. And it's over. And you're so happy. You know, the best best fights in the world didn't even last a round. <laughs> right? Because you're also sore. Because <laughs> you've been gripping your seat. That's, that's the other thing. Thing that yeah. I'm really glad that people uh, that that got across too was um, uh, the suspense of it all because I really wanted to. I know that someone uh, pointed out, and I'm glad that they appreciated this. Um, a scene that I intentionally kind of edited in this way was the scene when you guys um, go into the yellow hallways. Because I remember when I watched that for the first time, I was biting my nails because I, I was watching it for the first time, having no idea what was going to happen. I was for sure that you guys were going to get caught. It's so funny. <laughs> All the time that I was watching your guys' footage, I never for a second was like, oh, they're going to get caught doing this because I trusted your guys' system. And I knew clearly like, OK, you guys are uploading all this stuff and you guys kept doing this. So clearly you didn't get caught. But it was for some reason the freaking like the yellow hallway stuff. With you guys exploring around, like, yeah, that k- killed me when I was watching it. And so, like, I really wanted to get that to come across. And so that's why, like, all the narration is just dropped from that. And that's why I, like, leave a lot of those shots to kind of hang for, like, a second longer than they should. And that's why I kept it intentionally silent. And it's so great when I watch people watch that scene and they're just like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my yeah, God. I can like, see that. Like, yeah. what's around that corner? <laughs> Yeah, because even we didn't know, and it comes across in what we filmed, you know. We didn't right. know what was behind those doors, if they were locked or, you know, we could have opened the door on a on the maintenance guy's office or something. <laughs> we didn't know what was in that there. Part, that, the part where I cut from you guys reaching around the corner with the camera and then just straight to you guys running down the stairs, that was very much a conscious decision because I was very much trying to evoke um those found footage horror movies <laughs> yeah, that's that sort of rawness because <laughs> you guys witch. are hustling <laughs> down those stairs and like matthew raycon pointed out where it's like oh obviously these guys 
they don't get caught. They wouldn't be posting this stuff if they got caught and their stuff got confiscated. But the thing is, is that in what you set up, and it's like Dave, I'm going to mirror his sentiment, is that you intrinsically set it up is that, oh, you have the premise. You have two guys getting off the ride vehicle, or even the title, please remain seated. They're not remaining seated. So throughout the entire 25 minutes, you're waiting for the proverbial shoe to drop for the moment they get caught. Like, you're waiting for that moment. Because think about it. It's a Disney attraction. There's got to be somebody walking throughout that building at some point. And you do have that moment about, what, two-thirds of the way in where uh, Hoot and Chief get caught. And you're waiting. It's like, oh, crap, there it is. And you basically have almost like a chase in the middle of your film. You have an Fantastic. It really is. It's one of those things where, again, it makes it even all the mo- more interesting is that you were basically given pieces of a story and you had to craft like an action piece with it. Which that was so difficult because, okay, so here's going back to the original conversation. Remember how I talked about how I was so relieved by uh, Dave telling me that, like, you got everything right, man, on the story. He actually gave me one essential correction, and that was he was he was telling me because originally my idea, so my interpretation from the footage was I was thinking that the last adventure would be um, them uh, setting the camera up and then the pe- people seeing the camera. And my interpretation of that was here you have these two guys who have been going around and exploring for so long. They're leaving this camera up intentionally so that people will come by and see it and and that those few people, whoever they may be somewhere out there in the world, those are the only people that would know the legend of Hooten Chief. Like they would be telling their (laughs) kids one day that, you know, there was like a camera just left out on a set and it was filming us. It wasn't like a professional camera. It was just someone's camera. And we thought we saw somebody. Oh, but it was probably nothing. That was my interpretation. And so that was going to be like the ending of it all. And Dave made the one correction that he ever made to me. He told me, he's like, you know, that was the night that we got caught, right? And I was like, what? He's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. We set the camera down, walked off. And as we were walking behind the cars, that was when the maintenance worker spotted us. And so that stuck with me for like a month. Because I knew that I wanted to get in the stories of... Because if you've read the blog, you'll all remember reading... Like, to those who have read the blog before watching my movie, like, you'll remember, like, when you get to the comics that he wrote. Because there was no footage of the time that they almost got caught by the kid, and there's no footage of the time they almost got caught by the security guard. But... Dave uh, so graciously uh, made these amazing <laughs> little comics uh, depicting and describing the events as they happen. And so I knew I was going to get those into the dock in some way. I just didn't know how. I was like, how am I going to do that? It's already hard enough making something compelling out of just archival footage. How the hell am I going to get like these comic strips into the mix? And so right near the end, my friend offered like, hey, I can do some like, I haven't done flash animation in a while. What if I just literally recreated his characters from the comics and then we just added some simple motion to them, which was really fun making those. And we we cracked those out really quickly. And there's actually some Easter eggs in those animation scenes. Like I know that in, um, 
I know that the first when when you watch it, if you pause and play it really fast, when in the first animation scene, in the aquarium scene, whenever Hoot and Chief are running and they're going, take cover, the first person that comes through the cars is me. <laughs> like, I didn't way that. That's awesome. In, in the little corner, you can see, like, a guy with, like, some black hair going all over the place and, like, his glasses. <laughs> and also, I'm wearing my Epcot 35th anniversary sweatshirt that a friend was who went to Epcot was nice enough to bring back for me. Uh, and then, yeah, some of my other friends are uh, are chilling in the background, writing Horizons, um, little silhouette yeah. versions of them. But yeah, like, that was so hard, like, putting that together and making that compelling because of the fact that, yeah, like, none of it was filmed. So what I would do is I would just kind of lay out the story, lay out the events of what happened, fill it up with animation and then if it was something like, okay, I need a shot of cars moving and then people riding it, I would yeah. just go through all of the footage again, like all seven and a half, eight hours. By the way, that was like how much footage it was in total that I started off with. It's a 25 minute doc and the 15 minutes that is them running around Horizons was cut down from almost eight hours of footage originally. That's wow. how much footage they shot and uploaded on YouTube. Eight hours. Yeah, that's so, right. so it was just <laughs> me. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Um, that was just me going back through all the footage and just trying to find like shots that would convey like them jumping out of a car and running to get behind Mesa Verde. You know yeah, what I mean? I like love stuff the way, like that. I love the way you use that footage to fill in, you know, different shots because because folks that's not like sorry i'm like saying folks now i like that you say folks i want to use that now um no (laughs) to address the audience but like yeah like that footage that you see besides the footage of them with the with, with behind the scenes Okay, the only footage that was actually, like, from those two stories, none of the aquarium stuff, none of the undersea stuff with the little kid. Oh, by the way, in an uncredited role, um, I'm I'm the little kid that says, is there a man down there? That's my <laughs> voice. Um, just thought I'd throw that out there. But, yeah, but that whole story, none of that footage is the footage from when it actually happened. And with the security guard story, the only footage from when the story actually happened is when they're saying, oh, the flashlight is draining the battery. Can you see people? And then it's them setting up the camera and going, can you see people? Yeah, cool. And then later when the people ride by and they can see the cameras. That's it. Everything else is just Frankenstein together. Yeah, it works. There's no seam showing. Another thing I'll say real quick. Oh, sorry. What's your question, dude? I was going to say, let's do something fun right now. I got to go to the bathroom, but I got sunny side here in case you want to ask her any questions. It's like, oh, how, yeah, how forget did, the movie. How did Let's you put up with this shit? <laughs> <laughs> Can we ask her about honeymoon presents that involve cameras by any chance? Yeah, yeah, anything you want. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, this is so exciting. Oh, man, we're breaking new ground again, folks. Sunny side says, hey. I told yeah, how they name that daycare after you. We actually haven't talked yet. Hi, hi uh, Mrs. Ensign. Uh, I am Hello, at Serrano. Hello, how are you? The documentary. That was 
awesome. I loved it. Oh, that makes me so happy to hear. Thank you so much. There was there was more weeping here. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I know. I'm no, making it's good. With the dog. It's good. It's such a tribute to their friendship. Yeah, and that was always that was oh, always you- my my biggest goal. You know, I always feel like when it comes to when you when you make a when you make a movie or really just any kind of work of art, I feel like there's always like you have to have like the thing that hooks people in the beginning and like brings people to come watch, which is obviously them sneaking around. But then you have to give a reason for people to like stay and for people to rewatch and to fall in love. And that was always their friendship, which is so hard because there's not a lot of times where you see them talking and interacting with each other. Cause it's like, it's, it's, it's always either one of them filming it. You know what right. I mean? So it's always right. them kind of like talking into the camera. But I was worried that that wouldn't come across as them interacting with each other. So I'm really glad that like, and I'm sure you've probably seen the comments. Everyone is just saying what a beautiful friendship and, you know, really falling in love with them. It was amazing. It was amazing. And, you know, they didn't have to talk a lot of times because they, they just, they were like tied. They were like brothers. They were like, it's like they grew up together. Right. Well, Zach, I'll, I'll let you ask any questions first, because I know that I have a question that I want to ask. Oh, no. Um, I'm Zach. This is Ensign. Um, I'm the jerk that brought the, uh, for this specific recording, brought everybody together. Um, okay. I, uh, that's basically my role in all this. Uh, your husband <laughs> is a fantastic human being. Um, he's blown my mind at least two or three times this evening. Uh, <laughs> that's a specialty. To town beyond all others. Um, th- thank you for being such a great wife that would allow him to do all this. I know there's a lot of people in my social circles, their wives would never let them do this, never mind put up with it to begin with. So thank you so much for uh, giving him the support to make this a reality for all us Disney geeks out there. There was never a question of allowing him to do anything. He is who he is. And that's that's the beauty of who you know our relationship. It's just... He lets me be me. Well, we don't even let each other. That's silly. We enjoy each other for who we are. Oh, that's a very rare thing today. So bravo. It, it definitely shows through <laughs> in all the, it shows through in Matt's videos in the original stuff from the nineties and all the way into our conversation in the last hour or so. So Matthew, I'll let you go ahead and ask your questions. I'll, you have some probably important things to ask. You know, it's funny. I'll say, I'll say really quick. Um, I remember because we, we we talked this night, we've addressed the fact that there was a while where I was kind of working in the dark, where I was mm-hmm. working off of just what was on their blog posts and what just the footage and what people in the comments would tell me, mm-hmm. you know, and I remember uh, there came a moment where I came across a blog post where it was the photo of you posing next to the cat. And, <laughs> and I remember the post said, like, me and her got married not too long after this and so i i remember writing in i remember just my brain just kind of went into like autopilot and i wrote down um uh they got married not too long after this photo was taken and they've been happily married ever since and then i remember like a week later i was like oh my god wait what if like, what if she's passed? <laughs> like, I didn't know. Oh like, God. what if they got divorced? <laughs> or, like, what if something happened? And nah. so I remember being, like, so worried. And it's so funny because I, I didn't think about that for a while. But I took that out of the script. I just said, like, they got married not too long after this photo was taken. And that was that. And then I moved on from that. 
And I remember I breathed the biggest sigh of relief when I talked to your husband for the first time over the phone. And he said, by the way, Sunnyside's in the kitchen. Say hi. And I was just like, oh, thank God. And I just, as we were talking, I typed back into the script. Like, and they've been happily married ever since. (laughs) That's funny. My my question that I wanted to ask was, um, I guess my first question, I'll try not to ask too many and, and, and uh, take up your time too much, and of course, so we can get uh, Mister Mister Hoot back in. But uh, talk about talk more about um, your your time of venturing in Horizons. I would love to get your perspective on everything. What was it like for you going through that? Because there's not really a lot to talk about, or there's not really any information on your adventure besides like the two photos that were taken. <laughs> Well, um, um, we've been doing ridiculous shit for years and I never was like him, like leaping around and all that sort of thing. But I did want to pet the cats. I really wanted to pet the cats. And then, um, you know, they'd been doing this stuff forever. And, and Dave had like a, I don't know if he told you, he had like this extendable rig that he would like drop off recorders and rides and rec- he called them, he called them loops. And he would leave the recorder and then we'd ride and then we'd go back and hook the recorder back up. So like I have, I was so accustomed to like spending hours and entertaining myself <laughs> other ways <laughs> because it was when he focused on something, it was a hundred percent. So I would ride it with him for a while and then I did a couple things out there and then mostly I drank around the world. <laughs> I would, <laughs> I would right, drop him at Horizon. Yeah, I would drop them at Horizons. I would take my half yard out of my backpack, go fill it up, and proceed to get drunk. <laughs> and then I would meet him back, and we leave. Little pause there. I mean, that's. How, I mean, you're you guys are doing Epcot right. I mean, <laughs> as I'm, it's so funny because as you're saying this, I'm literally. I, I pulled up Instagram because I got a notification and right literally on my phone is a picture of 10 of my friends in Epcot uh, cheering wine glasses <laughs> as you were saying that. Drinking around the world. Yeah. Um, so, and then oh, I would go awesome. hang out in Japan and buy little trinkets and chatskis and then this, the, the fireworks or the show would get ready to start and I'd go back over there and sit on a bench and smoke. So how many times did you go uh, into the ride? So when so when you went to go pet the cat, that was just you going, okay, I'll just, just jump out here, pet the cat, and then jump back in, and I'm done? Or what was what was your experience well, I, going? I told him I wanted to. That was like, he's like, what do you want to do? And I, 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 I wanted to do that. So they explained to me how to do that. Um, I went in the kitchen, too, um, and got to walk around in the kitchen. Did I do anything else? I don't really recall. I was drunk. You don't <laughs> <laughs> I did do a lot of the filming. Oh, really? So, some, yeah, so sometimes it was me behind the camera going, okay, I, I'm a really atrocious camera person. Um, there's a lot that didn't ever make it because it was pictures of walls and floors and the inside of the car. <laughs> so none of the footage that ended up in the documentary, I'm assuming? Oh, I don't know. Did any of my footage wind up in there? What, what did you film? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, Dave says yes. Oh really? What was what footage? What footage? Oh hell, I, I'll have to watch it. Again. <laughs> I don't. 
<laughs> I'm gonna throw out a he guess. Might- um, was it the shot of where it's horizons and then it slowly pans over and then Dave does the dumb like face? <laughs> you see Ed and I both jump back in our right people. A lot of jumping back in, like filming them jumping out and jumping back in. Like most of those were me. Gotcha. Okay. I'm gonna like go back to the dock and I'm gonna try to spot some of that stuff. Oh man, that's kind of blowing my mind. Yeah, because I know that um <laughs> I mean, sorry, it's just, it's so weird because, I mean, I had to just, I, 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 it's safe to say I'm the biggest Mesa Verde Times fan of all time because I, I would, I would wager that I've watched the footage more than anyone else has just from oh, editing. I, I might, I might have seen it more than you. <laughs> <laughs> you, you very well might have but yeah i mean i would I just have. like i mean there's so many i mean there's a lot of stuff that i have just like memorized i mean like i have all my movies memorized because i mean when you're editing and you're working on them for so long you just kind of just do but um yeah that was i'm i'm it's interesting you bring up the, the tape recorder thing because i was trying to figure out a way to implement that into the doc and i couldn't really figure out a way to i know that um if you go back and I'm sure you won't notice it if anyone tries to go back and watch the raw footage. But I spent one week at the very beginning where I literally did nothing but clean up on everything. I went through every single video because the audio would just be the same for each video. And I would just spend like 20 minutes listening back and then just tweaking the audio so that I could bring out their voices as much as I could. And in the end, uh-huh. it didn't matter because I was just like, they're so unclear and inaudible sometimes that they just needed subtitles. But what you get from the Horizons documentary is the ultimate Hoot and Chief viewing experience. <laughs> it's the cleanest way of watching it. Well, and then, you know, Ed, uh, Ed would get so excited, he would squeak. He- it was like, and it was like very hard to understand him, even in person. Like, if he was enthused about something, it, it made him turn pink and squeak. Now, what was your like? What are what are some of your memories with uh, with Ed? I, 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 if if you're okay with uh, going into that. Oh God, I, I met Ed for the first time. The 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 was it winter? Eighty seven. Oh, God, yeah, I met him back in art school. I forgot all about that. I was drunk. Um, yeah. <laughs> now, wait, Dave, I don't know. Every story is just, I was you drunk. Know, Dave and I, I was a wasted youth. Um, <laughs> don't be like Sunnyside. Um, <laughs> Dave and I met at Ringling. Did you know that? Art school. Art school. No. Oh, really? 87, bros. 87 and um he brought ed around because they were already friends and so i i met him there and then when dave and i actually got together fun fact want a fun fact oh yes dave was at my first wedding really (laughs) we were both drunk (laughs) there it is again (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that's what we call the uh rule of three in comedy folks take note that's how you take do note. it after we got together um 94 93 what year was that 93 
Um, Ed was on a leave from the Air Force, and we actually met him. He came over to our apartment, and then we, we drove him back up to McDill. So that's the second time I met him. And we were just, he lived in the same apartment complex as, as us at the point. Was that, that's when we were going to Horizons. Yeah. He was in our same apartment complex in Orlando. So what was the timeline for the exploration of Horizons exactly? Oh, wow. I'm going to defer to... Uh, it was, what, 95, 96, 90? 96, 97? I don't know. What? Timeline. I, I honestly... Did you guys get started immediately after the post-G&E leaving reopening? Oh, or was wow. it like a time after the reopening that you guys got started? That was something I was never clear on. You've got to remember, I'm not the super fan. I was just kind of like along for the ride. Maybe right. I should defer back to Mr. Ensign on yeah, that. Yeah, here we go. Oh, it's silent. I, oh, I hear oh, a crack. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. Um, what was the timeline when we were doing that? 97, 98. Gotcha. So that was, okay. that was all, right, all right, cool. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of any more questions that I have. Do you remember any of the other people that... Oh, here's a question for, for you guys. Was there anyone else that went exploring with you guys besides, um, obviously, Sunnyside, Spike Tripper... And, um, uh, uh, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the other guy. Yeah. I made the stock. I'm so disappointed in myself. Oh, Bionic Fonzie. Was there anyone besides, um, those three companions that you guys had along for the ride? Mainly it was those two. I mean, the other guys are kind of, you know, they heard about it and kind of, you know, flew in. Um, I know Spike Tripper came out one night. Um, Bionic Fonzie. One. So, I mean, was there anybody else? I I don't know if there's no, even nope that was, those were, that was it so those two came out for like one exploration with them but the solid hard weekday exploration that was those two and it was always weekdays i feel like it was not usually the weekend it was busy it's usually a wednesday yeah that's smart yeah i mean so, yeah it, it was never really crowded because they did this whole like scientific analysis of of when it was crowded and not crowded in the least crowded times and it was it was they had charts had charts. <laughs> you guys were like the og like mouse planners <laughs> it was it was pretty impressive it was pretty impressive i was over there just like crafting and drinking and crafting and painting <laughs> what are your what are your thoughts on all this stuff looking back now like um what are your thoughts on Disney's uh, lack of archiving these things and do you ultimately feel like what these guys did was right or is there anything you, you still maybe disagree with, with what uh, your boys did? God, no, it was awesome and, and you know, it was something that was very meaningful to them and they knew it was going to disappear so they they archived it and, and, and chronicled it it was exploration. It was like they were, um, they called themselves archaeologists. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. They were like, ar they were exploring what was currently there that was going to disappear instead of going back in time and exploring something that had already disappeared. And they were documenting it for the future. And like Dave said, I heard him say this earlier, you know, they thought they were going to be sitting there, old men in their, their lazy boy recliners watching this and going, eh, 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 eh. and you know, it's still with us. He's still with us. He's still, uh, we feel him all the time and and when stuff like this happens he gets very happy we feel that 
I'm sure. And you know, like, yeah, exactly what you said, like about appreciating the ride while it's there instead of just looking back with like mm-hmm. the, the goggles and nostalgia. That's why mm-hmm. I, I, after I uploaded the doc, I changed my bio mm-hmm. on Insta to live in like chief because <laughs> I really appreciated how, you know, he just gave no fucks and just lived in the moment. It's true. And you know, you never know what's going to happen. And, you know, just because they're a big old corporation and they're this and they're that. No, this was meaningful to people. It was something that moved people and they never did anything harmful. So, you know, get out there and do what you need to do, man. It's like life is short. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. Oh, my pleasure. Oh, oh thank my you so much, Mrs. Ensign. You are, you cut your husband my pleasure. is a lucky man. Thank you. <laughs> you tell him that. <laughs> I will tell him that immediately. <laughs> All right, bye. Thanks again. Hey, honey, I, I think, honey, I think we uh, need a new camera. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, we forgot to even talk it about may the be, camera. Uh, yeah, maybe some sort of uh, video camera, honey. Oh yeah, she says, "All right, here we go." <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. She goes, "What are you talking about?" Okay, See, something I really want to talk about real quick to address this. Because I know that every time that I would tell people, when people would ask, like, oh, yeah, what are you working on right now? I would tell them, like, you know, I'm working on this thing. It's about this Ride Horizons. And then, because no one would know what it was, I would go, well, it's known as one of the greatest dark rides of all time. And, in fact, it was allegedly... And I use allegedly because I can't find any actual information about this. Just kind of rumors. Apparently, it was Michael Jackson's favorite ride, favorite Disney ride, next to Haunted Mansion and Pirates of the Caribbean. And there is a famous rock and roll photo shoot that probably all Disney fans know of this one. The famous photo of him standing in the rainbow tunnel near yeah. uh, the, the Imagination Pavilion. That same photo shoot, he also asked the photographer, can we take photos on Horizons? And there's two really hard-to-find photos of him riding Horizons. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But, like, is that any is that information, like, anywhere of him actually saying in an interview, like, I love Horizons? Because, like, I, I don't know how people have come to that conclusion besides just the photos, which are really cool photos. You should definitely look up Michael Jackson, Horizons, Epcot. Like, you'll find the well, photos. I read an article, probably 1985 or something, because, you know, I, hell, I like Michael Jackson. Everybody did. It was the 80s, you know, before he got creepy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he, he actually said that. And that kind of, you know, like, wow, man, he, he likes it, too. Well, wow, must be great. Kind of gave you more credibility, huh? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I actually met that guy at Disney MGM Studios one day. I got a bunch of pictures that I have to scan. But uh, yeah, he was there with Macaulay Culkin. And I just happened to be at the studios walking around, killing time. And all of a sudden, there's Michael Jackson standing next to me. And I mean, next to me. I was I was standing there. I was like, oh, oh, hey, man. <laughs> you know, What do you say to Michael Jackson? I don't know. I should have said, I hear you like Horizons. <laughs> but 
If only. Yeah. So many crazy stories out there. You know, oh, all, all, all kinds of stuff. Uh, have you ever considered writing a book or something? Because it seems like you have a million Disney stories. Would you? I know, obviously, after DVDs, books is the next thing that we use. The young people use DVDs as coasters, and they use them for doorstops. Is there? Well, I know he's giving me some exclusives. <laughs> Isn't that right, Dave? You're giving me yeah, some we, first looks. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, we, we can talk about. It. I mean, yeah, def- definitely making a Maze of Verde Times coffee table book with uh, scans of our, our original negatives. When we put the blog out, we, you know, we didn't have great scanners or anything, but but uh, another guy contacted me and he's got all the latest, you know, scanner this and that. So we're going to do like a huge coffee table book with Bamboo Forest Publishing who did Dark Side of Disney, you know, a bunch of other titles. And I, I want it to be the definitive Maze of Verde times because, you know, you, you don't know how long bloggers going to last before mm-hmm. all, all of a sudden one day you go online and it's gone, you know. Mm-hmm. But a book, that's that's a hard copy. And that, that would make me happy to, to know that it was out there. Make me a little money, maybe. <laughs> that that <laughs> doesn't hurt that either. either. That's a good motivation. Do, do you have maybe, a timeline it, on that or? Uh, we're working on it now. Okay. I, I don't. I don't really have a timeline. And, so it's beyond, uh, it's beyond the idea stage. Definitely. I mean, I've talked to Bamboo Forest and Leonard Kinsey over there, and he's gung ho for it. And we want we want to do something really great, like the definitive Maze of Verde Times book that captures the blog, captures the stories, you know, from from. What I've already wrote, pretty much, gives people nice pictures, and that's it. It'll you'd be a hard copy forever. I would imagine a lot of people would be interested in that. So it sounds like a million dollar idea. Yeah, a lot of people want pre orders for it and stuff, but I'm gonna wait on that because you know I I work at my own pace on pretty much everything I do, so they're just gonna have to wait. You know, I, I should probably bring this up. This is a funny story. Um, it was a concern that I know was brought up by my group. And I was like, oh, man, you're probably right. But, like, whatever. I'll just go through with it anyways. Because I felt that it would be ridiculous to censor the animatronic girl's boobs, the naked animatronic, at the top of the easy living scene. I thought yeah, it I would be so ridiculous. Too. Apparently, it is the reason why I am not making any money or going to make any money off of my youtube video because someone decided that they were going to flag it for nudity oh jesus christ i'm you, not you kidding. might as well you might as well flag michelangelo's david i know? know i know and i was it's, it's I, I remember i sake. yeah i w- reached back out to youtube and i was like go to minute eight the person that flagged me it's this is this is what they're referring to. It is a half-formed animatronic made by Disney, by the way. Yeah. With very crudely made like nipples. And so they responded, yeah, okay, but there's other content in the video. And I'm I'm sure they're referring to the swear words and the naughty words and oh, stuff. And they're like, You're not gonna make any God. money off of this. So I'm like, all right, well, whatever. At least people get to enjoy it. Mr. Ensign and Mr. Weber. Yes. I actually have questions for you too. 
Uh oh. Do it. What is your guys's favorite moment in the documentary, and why? Oh, you go, you go ahead, Zach. Oh man, you put me on the hot spot. Okay, um, I like things as a whole. I know I'm kind of cheating when I say this. If there is, I don't think there is one specific moment. If there, if I had to do pick one, obviously the, the ending. Like I already had my Titanic, Jack and Rose, Bill Paxton analogy is when it really kind of added a whole nother layer to the Horizon story that I never thought about. Um, I'd say, I don't think there's one scene that really stands out, but I think the ending definitely wraps it all together because it kind of, it comes out of nowhere. Uh, mm. and I, and I think that's where you kind of get hit with the, the reality of the situation. Cause you're talking, you think about it, uh, two guys sneaking around the Disney attraction. It sounds like fantasy. It sounds like, and I, I think, what was that? Uh, didn't Disney have a book series, uh, keepers of the kingdom or something? Yeah, keep yeah, a bunch yeah, of yeah exactly. Like, it's kind of like that in a way where it's like um, it's like when somebody tells you they saw Bigfoot. It's like it's your friend. It's like sure you saw Bigfoot. You don't disbelieve them, but it's one thing. You need that human element. You need that thing of like, oh wow, I, I experienced it. It does. It bring it gives you a human uh, emotional anchor. And it, it does. It comes out of nowhere because you are. It's the the story of these two guys first and foremost, not Horizons. Again, it's the Titanic. The story is Jack and Rose, not Titanic. And Horizons is the backdrop of that. So to answer your question, the ending, but overall, I, I like the whole picture more than one specific moment. I, I like that answer. I'll say that pretty much the same thing. The reason I, I made that video of, of scattering the ashes and stuff, that wasn't for anything on social media. That was for Ed's parents and family because I, I, wanted, to, I wanted them to see that I did it. Because they trusted me, you know, his, his mother sat right there, teary-eyed to me and said, you know what he wanted. And I said, yeah, I do. And she said, you know where he wants to be laid. And I said, yeah, I do. And she said, Dave, you're the only one that can do it, you know? So gosh, I have chills right now. Oh I, I, lived, I lived through that. I. I took that bag of ashes and I guess uh, the the movie touched me because I thought I had seen this video so many times, of course, you know, of oh, yeah, me sure. crying, <laughs> you know, me breaking down like that and stuff. And I, I thought, yeah, well, you know, I've seen this a million times. But when I saw it laid out like this, in Matthew's movie, uh, something hit me very, very hard. And I, I think it hit a lot of people. Dude, dude, I started to weep like, like a baby. Oh, my and gosh. Kim, no, Kim came to me and just held me. And I was like, I don't know what it is. It, it's, it's a story. It's a story you laid out. You know, even though I lived all this stuff, it hit me so hard, man. Man, because it's it's perfect. It's just perfect. And I, I couldn't stop crying. I was like, man, this is, is beautiful. I think my favorite thing about all this has been like the on forget like the, the praise for the documentary, forget like people going, wow, this is a crazy story. My favorite thing about this whole experience has been like every comment about Chief that I read. Yeah. Yep. There was a comment that I read on YouTube where someone said, this is it, Chief. 
and I died. I was like, that's so funny. Uh, for those of you who don't know, there's a there's an internet saying of like that ain't it, chief. And uh, whenever you whenever you have disdain for something, and someone said this is it, chief. And uh, yeah, no, but the thing that really got me the most is every time I see a comment of someone saying I'm gonna go to the burial site and like yeah, leave flowers that's and stuff. Awesome. And I, if anyone is listening, please feel free to send me any anything related to the video especially if yeah, you go yeah, definitely tag me yep. in that stuff please i would tag love me to too that. yeah tag uh, dave's dave's on 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 instagram i don't know if you are on instagram zach either but yeah oh, like, sure like, tag, tag me too <laughs> you know what I, I, yeah. I told chief's parents and his family i said you have to read these these comments so, yeah you know, talk, the night you put that about, video up because I I want them to understand what a kick ass guy he was, and I, you know they they loved him definitely, but I don't I don't know if they knew uh, the full extent. They're all into Disney. His whole his whole family, mother, father, you know, brother, sister. I don't I don't know if they know what a le- legend he is. You know, he's like a cult legend. Yeah, and it's Especially just awesome. Now. To- read that stuff and i know his his nephews and nieces they read this they they saw the comments and they're just fascinating because hey there's here's good old uncle ed who was a you know great dude but look what he did it, i don't know it, it's it's really neat it's really um, neat the way it's spelled out so so chief's parents did they like how much did they know about what you guys are doing pre-watching the documentary I'm sure they knew about everything. Oh yeah, everything. Yeah. He he was very uh, chief. Was kind of a mama's boy, <laughs> you know. He, he had good conversations. He, he was a good friend to his mother, and uh, they talked all the time. So even during doing all that stuff, he told her everything. See, you guys, know, just even someone neat. as badass as Chief still is not badass enough to talk to his mom. Oh no, the guy was no, he no, he he definitely wasn't a tough guy. He was like no, laugh in the background. Yeah, he he was a mama's boy. You know, he he played Hello Kitty online <laughs> the game. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. <laughs> I know Mesa Verde Times is very much I don't want to say it was more more your brainchild, but he would kind of chime in more, and you'd be the one that really uh, published the the articles there. So, do you think if he were around, would he have wanted to contribute more to Matthew's documentary, or would he have been just as hands off as you are? What kind of person was he in that sense? Oh, that's a good no, question. he would he, he would he would have been really hands off because he was always a person that into the things he was interested in, and he didn't care what anyone else thought. So even if you made a, a story about his life, like say you, a movie studio just decided to say, hey, we're going to make a movie about Ed Barlow, he wouldn't say a word about it. He would just say, oh, that's their take on it. You know, if it's wrong, fuck them. You know, that's <laughs> the way he was. Yeah, yeah he, he was a very private guy, you know. And to be his friend, he didn't have a whole lot of friends because he, he didn't really care about other people's opinions of him you know and, and when we got together we just clicked i don't know why and that's the way it was yeah i think what he would think of the 
documentary, he would have watched it, especially if he didn't die at the end. <laughs> That's an important part. But uh, I, I think he would have liked it just fine. He liked to see what other people did, you know? He didn't like to shoot his mouth off or talk about, about anything, really, for when he was on camera. That's how that went. Something I'd like to really bring up, um, because it just reminded me of all this, is I remember, so going back to talking about my my group, my creative little trust, um, the first time that I brought the footage over to them, back in August of 2018, um, I remember I was playing it for them, and then my, my friend, someone just, I can't remember who it was, but they just started laughing in the middle of it. And I was so confused, like, like why they were, what they were laughing about. And he, he was just like, what's the name of the, of that guy? The guy with the hat? And I was like, chief? He's like, dude, he sounds just like Novak. <laughs> and then we all started losing our shit because we were like, oh my God, he sounds just like our friend Tyler Novak. Hey, how are we going to get out of here and back to our vehicles? Take cover. There goes our gap. I guess we just go for it. And so... I remember, fast forward two months later, I decide, you know what, I, I want to do animation for this. I just need to figure out who's going to do it. And, and my friend Tyler was like, you know what, I'll, I'll help you do the animation. And I was like, cool. And you're playing Chief. And he's like, wait, you're not, you're, you're not joking? I was like, no, like you're going to play oh, Chief. Oh, that's great. Because he did and, a great job. Yeah, you know what's funny is my one of my best friends, friends danny um he texted me when he finally saw the video like a few days after i uploaded it and when he was sending me like notes and his thoughts on it one of the things he said was he's like by the way like kudos like he or he's like he's like kudos to whoever played chief because i remember like because he knew I, I told a lot of people <laughs> like the full story i told people that chief had passed away and yeah. so he was like he told me, he's like, I remember I, the animation started and it's Chief's voice talking. And I was like, how the, the fuck did he get Chief to talk in the in the <laughs> animation scenes? Yeah, it was damn near perfect. Just because he just thought like, oh, I, I he just thought it was Chief. He thought it was Ed doing doing the voice for the comics. So And who, whoever played me, I was, I was like, that's amazing because that's the first time ever anyone's ever played me in a movie. <laughs> you know yeah that's but that was my that was my friend all Chris. the all the all the inflections were right everything was right it's just great quick dude to the hole they just stopped the ride we sure did it this time now all we have to do is find a way out never mind us watch your step onto the moving beltway dear I, I felt like i was watching ed say new stuff yeah i thought it was fantastic man i was like ah there he is <laughs> Back from the dead, going, <laughs> hey, fuck it, man, fuck it. Let's jump through here. Well, we might get killed. Okay. He didn't care. <laughs> he, uh, he, wanted, he wanted to do it. <laughs> oh, man. I'd like young people to look at that and just realize that you can just do stuff. You know, not, not everything in this country is a police state, you know, where you can't do <laughs> anything. But you, you can actually just do stuff. You can find happiness. You can find fun. If you just go out there and do it. You know, go after the things you're after. 
it's doing stuff, but it's also having a purpose. It's not just again, yeah. Doing something is Matt Swan not being a Matt climbing. Swan. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. You guys, there was a purpose to it. It wasn't just simply let's just let's stomp around horizons because no one will stop us. And this is it's, also pre-social media. Right. They're not doing this for clicks or likes or views or followers, nope. which is what a lot of people are doing stuff for nowadays. They were just doing it for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Dave, <laughs> I, have, I have a question for you. I was I was just wondering. Uh, well, obviously, it's a focal point of Matt's video. Um, Chief's hat. I was curious because yeah. it does. It has the yeah, M on it. It, it. it has the M. Uh, would you ever consider, considering now that Matt's brought this story to the the forefront, would you ever consider like getting like finding someone who makes hats and maybe like selling them and the profits go to charity to maybe again uh, for cancer research or something? Yeah. Like that? I, I would imagine that'd probably be a popular item. Yeah, I have it in right here in my my house. Actually, and I have the backpack you have to too. That with you. Oh yeah, yeah. his backpack too. Yeah. Well, that's great. And the, the contents of which, you know, we're in uh, in the video, but I'm never going to show them again. I'm just going to keep them. But hell yeah, I would do something like that for sure. I'm just curious. I think that'd be something really cool to kind of uh, commemorate his memory and it's carrying yeah. on his legacy of going through Disney attractions. And he, I know in the dark side of a uh, Disney video, that is the that's his trademark pretty much throughout the entire video. Yeah. <laughs> The funny thing is that guy used to he loved that stuff. He loved that Mickey Mouse stuff, which I I was never into, you know, wearing a hat with M for Mickey Mouse on it. But he that's the way he was. He would go, Well, if somebody doesn't like him, fuck it. You know? And if, you know what? Like he was ahead of his time like because that style yeah. is in right now. And I'm literally looking up <laughs> Mickey Green baseball cap to see if yeah. I can find a Chief S cat because I would actually wear that. He doesn't. He he never cared what people thought of it. He would do anything, you know, that he wanted to do, and that that was the cool part about him. Like I came up with the whole idea of let's document horizons, right? But I knew he was enough of a wild card that he wouldn't stop until we were done, because he he wasn't necessarily into the documenting all of it, but he loved to explore. He loved to be bad. Just jumping out of the car gave him a rush, and he was unstoppable. He was an individual, that guy. I also, even in the Dark Side of Disney video, I appreciate his button-up Mickey Mouse shirt. I love that, too. Like That small little detail of something like that, which obviously you can't find that at a Walmart or any sort of department store. Yeah. But just the idea of wearing a button-up Mickey Mouse shirt, oh, that's so great. It's the small things. It's, it's that what? element you're telling us about, about just not caring and doing what you want, and it feels right. Here's the real fucked up part about that shirt is we each bought one when we went to this D23 event, right? We bought that retro blue, bluish colored Walt Disney World shirt, you know, together. And mm -hmm. when I went to his funeral, I didn't know what to wear because I, I don't go to funerals. What the hell am I going to wear? I picked that shirt out and that happened to be the shirt that was in his giant picture by his ashes and his family that really didn't know me, you know, his, his family from other states. They were like, did you wear that on purpose? I was like, no, I just picked it because his, his nieces and his nieces and nephews were like just glued to me. They, they wanted to hear stories of their uncle. Oh, so man, that's, that's cool. Uh, that's and neat. it was that shirt. You know? 
why the hell did I pick that one? I just did because <laughs> I didn't feel like wearing black. Yeah, it's it's the small things like that to honor his memory. Yeah, it's lively. Yeah, how could yeah. you wear black to a chief funeral? I could never picture that. No, no, he he never liked that that kind of thing. I could, I could go on forever about that. I know in some of the Mesa Verde Times articles that you posted, Dave, that you talk about how like Horizons was never considered a popular attraction. And I know ever since when I discovered it, it kind of was cemented as the extinct attraction. And my, my question to both of you is, I think that's changed. Like, I, I, I know how you talk, Matthew, about like Diz Twitter, DIS Twitter, and the people that are really just fanatical about Disney right now that were never present in the company's history until just now, or this in the last five years or so. And what I've realized is the new generation, basically, I guess it'd be your generation, Matthew, is that Horizons is no longer the pinnacle of extinct attractions. And I think this is maybe a generational thing, but the vibe I'm getting, and please correct me if I'm wrong, both of you, is that I feel Maelstrom is now that kind of like extinct ride that was taken too early that people feel, oh, this is the one that we were robbed of. That was magical. It had that heart to it. Because, like, look at Stitch's Great Escape. Like, that's that's a ride that, again, popular IP, but nobody nobody cares about that disappearing. Right. So what is the, the new horizons when it comes to extinct attractions that feel, that the new generation feel that was robbed of them? Well, let me tell you this. Us urban explorers, people that work there and stuff, and we, and we used to goof around or whatever, Maelstrom was actually... A crap out. And so was Wonders of Life. These were Eisner era rides that were just too short and too cheap. And we did, we we thought they were garbage. So when people were all worried about Buzzy being stolen, no, no, we didn't care. <laughs> None of us <laughs> care. And it is a generational thing. You know, it's the things you you grow up on that are important to you, you know. And things in the past, you can appreciate them. Like, uh, um, what's the uh, Miracles Through Mo- Molecules? What's, oh, what's that right out there at Disneyland? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Space. You know, I'm fascinated by it, but I never wrote it. So I don't have an emotional attachment to it. You know, I, I think it was great. I would love to see more about it. But it's how you grow up and how you... I can't understand it. Like... Wonders of Life to me was a, a complete ripoff. It was just like cheap. It was cheaply built, you know, and uh, Cranium Command was kind of funny, but there was a show on TV called Herman's Head, which was oh, just. Oh, yeah. I remember yeah. that, yeah. Uh, you know? So I haven't thought about that seemed, in a while. It seemed, like a rip- it seemed like a ripoff for Herman's Head. So, you know, we were like, this is the end of Epcot when that opened. We were like, oh, God, it's, it's all going to hell. <laughs> but yet my nephew looks back at it, and he, he loves it. Oh, I wish I could ride Cranium with Command again. Go see that show again. If you don't mind so, me asking, how old is your nephew? Uh, nephew's 22. All right, because that's, that's what I'm trying to figure out, because I how I kind of started all this. I'm in this weird sort of time zone with the attractions where I just missed out on a lot of the popular ones. Again, the 20,000 leagues, the skyway, 
Um, again, I, I got to uh, I got to ride extraterrestrial alien encounter. I got I think yeah. I got to ride that like one of the last, which I thought was one of the. I was shocked when they closed that. Dave, is there any? Is it really true the reason why they closed that was because it was too scary, or was it because no. uh, Jeffrey Jones was a pedophile? I think they did it because it, it wasn't tied to a movie. Really? So that, it, that was going was, on as early as then? Yeah, and it wasn't popular because of that. Because, you know, they don't, they don't, okay, think back to Disneyland, you know, when, when it opened. Walt had attraction posters out front and promoted each attraction, even though it wasn't based on a movie. You know, Disney doesn't do that anymore. They, they, I don't know. They, they expect the IP to make the right great. And if they can just give you a taste of being at Star Wars or being at whatever, then you know they, they've done their job. So I think, I think Alien Encounter failed because they didn't promote it the right way. Hmm. I don't know if I liked it. I don't think I did, but. I thought it was a decent ride. Yeah, I guess that was like the same thing you were saying with the Michael Eisner doing things. Uh, this time he will say cheap and not cost effective. Is yeah. again, you had the what was it, Mission to Mars theater, and they had to think of they had to reuse that space. Yeah, they had to get yeah. creative with it. So they had to make something fit that space. And they tried. You know, give them credit. They they tried. Whether it whether it works, a whole other issue entirely. Yeah. Exactly. And then uh, the Stitch thing was just, it was worse than Alien Encounter. It, it didn't make any sense. The damn thing eats a cheese dog, a chili cheese dog or something, and then burps. Belchers on you. Yeah, but they don't sell those in the park. What yeah. the hell is he talking about? <laughs> yeah. Should have been a turkey like. Yeah, it should have been. It really. People would have liked it then. That, that's the weird thing with Disney, actually. I remember when I was a senior in high school, because uh, I was always, it's funny, this is the first time I've ever been around bigger Disney fans than myself. This is a, this is an oddity for me. And I remember when I was in high school, they had a, the grad night. And everyone's like, yeah. oh, are, are you going? And I'm like, no. And everyone was kind of just like uh, gobsmacked. They're like, you're not going? And I'm like, I can't go. And they're like, why? And I'm like, I'll just walk around the entire time and be a Debbie Downer and be like, you see that? That's where Horizons used to be. And you see that? That's, that used to be where World of Motion was. And I just basically sit on park benches and complain about all the good stuff is gone now. And right. I, and that's because the last time I've been to the parks was 2007. And not that I don't enjoy it. Even, even the state Epcot's in now. I don't, I don't think any of the parks are outright bad. They're not. Um, I think the amount they charge is questionable considering for what you get sometimes. Yeah. But I think part of it too is um, they've kind of lost me. And I, I mean that in the most humble, non-pessimistic way possible. Like even a Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. I am again, I, I pour my own money into a Star Wars podcast. Most of my discretionary income goes toward the Lucasfilm end of the Walt Disney Corp uh, company. And I could not care less about St Galaxy's Edge. I think they've uh, fundamentally, it's going to make money. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's ever going to yeah. not turn a profit. But I think they've, um, they've, they are so blinded by their envy of Harry Potter at Universal Studios yes. that they've yes. lost sight of what the point of a theme park 
uh, land attraction supposed to be. Yeah. And I try and I try telling people about this that are Star Wars fans first, not Disney attraction fans. And they kind of just look at me with that deer in the headlights look. And I'm like, trust me, when that park opens, after the initial novelty factor wears off, you're gonna see there's gonna be a lot of people that aren't as thrilled about that as they as they are. It's it's kind of right. I feel like it's gonna be like what's happening with Avatar. I think the novelty is still there. Um, when Jimmy C finally makes Avatar uh, two through seventy four, maybe my opinion will change of that. But until then, I still think the jury's out, and I feel whoever's in charge, I think their heart's in the right place most of the time. But I think the execution leaves something to be desired, and I, I, I this might be a controversial opinion though, but I genuinely can't wait for the day Bob Iger leaves. I just yeah, even because I, 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 I don't know if he's the root of all evil. I'm not. I again, I don't mean that. It's in uh, a, uh, <clears throat> Bob Chapek. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah yes and Bob no Chapek is the root of all of all the evil well i again uh, this is the part of the disney stuff i love the politics of it all i'm over here um i'm in orange county the other orange county on the other side of the united states <laughs> in california i live 30 minutes away from disneyland uh the og i grew up going there all my life i still go there now i'm actually going tomorrow my friend group now once you man once you meet one jungle cruise skipper you become friends with all of them <laughs> so like i have like six jungle cruise skipper friends like in my friend group like a lot of people that work at the parks and stuff and i'm starting to get to know some of the people in imagineering and and i have like a, it's 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 more like acquaintances in imagineering and stuff and so i'm very much in the uh, in the heartbeat of uh, disneyland and whatnot even in the past year, got myself involved in the politics of Anaheim, but that's for another podcast, <laughs> maybe for me. <laughs> but anyways, um, it's so funny though because here, here you have a group of people who you know grew up in California, grew up going to Disneyland, you know, all around my age, twenty to twenty-three, right? And I remember asking uh, all of them, like. Out of all of the defunct attractions, what is like the one that you wish like could be here right now? And everyone has told me the same answer: Horizons. Everyone, swear to God, every yeah. every single one of my friends. And this is, keep in mind, this is like a year before even considering making this documentary. I really do think that like Horizons was when you when you really think of like nostalgic Disney, it's the pinnacle of everything. Yep. Because it's the best of Walt's era combined with the best of like the seventies and the eighties and the nineties. Yep. It's the best you're, of all of those eras. Right. Put in one. It's this prime perfect and on top of that, that like Epcot was like the last, you know, adventure that Walt wanted to jump into. And Horizons is all of Epcot summed up into one ride. I mean, I can go on and on and on, but, and it's funny because I don't know if any of you know, listening or even on this podcast, um, there were plans in 93 to build Westcott in yep. Anaheim. It was course, not going yeah. to be California Adventure. It was going to be the bigger, better, better version of Epcot on the West Coast. And they were going to make a sequel to Horizons. That was the plan. Yeah. Think of this. 
you're in this Star Wars act, you know, you do the podcast and that. Okay, that's his own world, right? Well, oh, yeah. think of Disneyland, you know, from 1955 to now. Think of all the incarnations of fans and what they thought was cool. Maybe somebody thought in 1967, oh, they're, they're redoing Tomorrowland. Fuck this place. You know, <laughs> you mean you mean I can't go on flight to the moon anymore? You know, or, I always see the uh, that, model um, airplanes flying around. <laughs> I always just tell people that go like, you know, I can't believe that they're just dedicating one IP to one land. And I'm like, if you're here on opening day, Frontierland was Davy Crockett Land. Yeah, pretty like, that's much. That's what it was. That's exactly yep. what it was. It was Davy Crockett Land. 110 percent so yeah, yeah you're definitely right well, it's park, always it's like it's always constantly there. Parker and buddy epson were there and buddy epson by the way is from orlando florida so there you go a little fun <laughs> fact are you trying to one-up me over here jealousy no i'm just saying that that's yeah, it. okay Okay. Well, I think, well, Mike, because this is my perspective, considering that like, we've rate, we talked about California Adventure, and this is Cinemodities, and California Adventure is an oddity for, for all intents and purposes. And, but, <laughs> that it is. But if you look at it, though, like, Matthew, you know, our, again, I, you and I are closer, obviously, in the same generation than um, Dave is, but look at our, our generation's hatred of Monsanto, because whether it be the soybean yeah. thing, <laughs> if you tell people our age that, that is true didn't yeah. just sponsor one disney attraction but two of them practically that was, all of tomorrowland was sponsored by monsanto practically that land was monsanto land for a while exactly if you try telling people our generation that now oh boy that is like almost up there with the uh <laughs> the uncle Walt disney and the song of the you know South what that'd be like yep. that'd be like telling people like if like galaxy's edge sponsored by the nra like honestly, yep. that's like the same equipment. Exactly. It really yeah, is. You're right. Our generation is so just consumed with the the oh god, the facade or the the superficial level of Disney. Because if you tell them these things, for some reason it just taints their vision of it. And it, what it came down to is that you have to tell people it's like think about it. Disney is a company that's been around now for we're getting close to close to 100 years and for an entertainment company to consistently be owned by the same party is pretty rare and that's why whether it be monsanto or uh, song of the south or the the shorts or even look at some of the stuff they did with back during the 80s that wouldn't fly nowadays just in today's uh, politically correct culture and i think that's just one of the interesting things about disney is that as a company it's able to evolve and yet it never, or what's, I don't want to say it doesn't want to be held to what it was in the past, but it's able to overcome that. And, but at the same time, not sweeping it away. And I, I think, think that's, do, that's a weird I thing. I think they do rock that, that, that balance pretty, pretty damn well. Us as fans, we, we would love to just, you know, like, oh, put the magic skyway back in and just, you know, oh, just yep. put the people mover in yep. just because why, why can't you, you know, and it's never that simple. There's always a lot of things that are that are getting in the way of stuff like that, like actual things. But yeah, and it's also kind of like what, what Dave was saying earlier, how there's like, you know, there's the naysayers, obviously, and there's the people that, you know, want to, you know, look good in the eyes of Disney. But at the same time, like the people that actually really matter at Disney 
you know, are like just like you and you and me, where like they're fans too, and they they really want this stuff to to happen and to be in the parks, and and they want the parks to be in this certain way and stuff. And it's out of their jurisdiction, you know. It's not this one evil corporation that's like looking over everything and going, uh, "Oh, we don't care about this stuff," you know. It's 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 all these different moving parts, and I think in a lot of the moving parts, you'll find people just like you and me. Yeah, yeah, you you certainly will. Like I know, you know for just, example, everyone always talks about, for example, the people mover. Like, why can't you just bring the people mover back to our Tomorrowland? And I remember my friend got to hang out with Tony Baxter and go walking around in the parks. And he asked Tony Baxter, uh, this is like 10 years ago, he's like, like a long time ago, he's like, he's like, so what's going on with the people mover? And he's like, buddy, I would love to bring the people mover back just as much as you would. But you know what? Like OSHA laws would require us to yeah. make the track like this long and it'd just be an ugly sight and it would just ruin the people mover. It would just make it pointless for us to bring it back. So yeah, that's the reason had, why the track have, is sitting there. They had to have steps, you know, right. stairs down. For evacuation, like every, you know, like twenty feet. So there'd be stairs everywhere, and, I mean, and then also like the platforms would just go out and completely. I mean, if you if you go to Disneyland Tomorrowland, it's tiny. You know, there's just no space to do that. Right, and, like it's just right. not that simple. You know, a lot of these things are not that simple. Well, well, let me tell you guys. You know, Matthew, number one, man, thank you for making this movie really in 25 minutes you summed up a hell of a long time of friendship you know for me and, and it's beautiful it, it's perfect and to both of you i want you guys to understand that you know i'm 50 now i'm getting old but you guys keep doing what you do keep pushing further because you know, you you are the the young guys. You have to do this. You have to go after the things you're interested in and explore. I think that's very important. You know, I tell my son that all the time. Like, don't don't fall in line and and just think, oh, I can't do this. I can't talk about this. I can't you know explore these things. Just go do it. Where's to live by? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that that's probably the only advice I could ever give anybody is, you know, pretty much it's your life. So if you're interested in something, God damn, go, go after it. Go after it heavy, you know? Here, I'm definitely going to love, love that. I, I see so many people, I guess young people or whatever, but people, even people my age, you know, they, they just give up. They don't. They're not interested in anything, you know, and that was the difference between them and me and Ed is that Ed and I were like, yeah, we, we can do this. We can, you know, we, we just did it. We, we didn't really think about it. And everybody always goes, oh, man, I wish I could. I wish I could would live you guys lives, you know, and been with you on these adventures. I look at them and I say, you didn't do it. You could have, but you didn't do it. Be passionate about something. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. If if you're passionate about it, then by God, go and get it done. And one last thing I'll I'll ask is, uh, 
not to not to bring up your age again, but uh, <laughs> if I could yeah, request I one thing in the will, Mister Ensign. Yeah. Uh, all all I want. I'm not asking for much, but all I, all I want is I would love to be the I would love to be past Excalibur and to take on Chief's hat and to preserve it for all okay. time. All right, I'll make that happen. For there sure. you go. <laughs> Yeah. Verb, we have our verbal agreement right here yeah. on this podcast. Yeah, yeah we do. <laughs> and I, in the will, I would like the uh, Mr. and Mrs. Ensign VHS camera from their wedding. <laughs> I would like that. I still have it. I still Good. have it, yeah. Good, because I would like that will to me in, in the very distant future. <laughs> yeah, it's in a box in my closet right now. <laughs> good, good. I, good thing I have some blank VHS tapes laying around. I'll, I'll make good use to it in uh, many, many years. Yeah, okay. get you some eight millimeter ones. You know, get even better. High def or whatever. High def back then was what one pixel by one pixel. I think. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, guys. As we're wrapping this up, I have one final question for both of you. Sure. Uh, on Cinemodies, for every movie we watch, uh, actually, we have two questions we ask. One of them is whether a movie or a, the subject that we're discussing is a cinemati. Uh, considering that my co-host Rob isn't here, we will save that discussion for next time he's available. But the second question is, what snack do we wa- eat while we're watching said cinemati? So I have to ask both of you, what would be the ideal snack, meal, food item that you would eat while watching this? I'll say is, uh, if I had to choose a uh, meal, uh, that meal would would be probably like let's i'll go i'm i'm half salvadorian so i'll go traditional salvadorian with the shit i'll say uh some pupusas and then maybe some uh cola champagne that's some traditional salvadorian food for you uh, people out there listening but um if i had to go with a uh, snack um oh what were those called dave help me out here what What's was that? the uh what was the oranges what were the oranges called in Laroranges. Uh, La Laroranges. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll be snacking <laughs> on some Laroranges um, next time I watch the duck. Disney, Good get answer. on that. Good get on that. I think I'll have a snack of uh, Paps Blue Ribbon okay. and French fries <laughs> with right. mayonnaise. Oh, that's it. Mayonnaise. That, that oh, took yeah, an interesting yeah. left turn. So yeah, do you I want, dip, I want some do you dip the fries into the mayonnaise, or are they lather? Oh yeah, it yeah. On the side, no, I, I don't, I don't slather it. No, I go ahead and dip it in there. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, that, that's how I like it. <laughs> but pass through ribbon because it reminds me of my dad growing up in Ohio, or when I was a kid in Ohio, and that was their beer, man. They were like, whoa, bush. But yeah. <laughs> Oh man, what what a fantastic way to end this three hour plus yeah, mayonnaise and French fries. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, ne- oh, never change, oh, Dave. Uh, Promise me you'll never change. Oh no, uh, hell, it's too late now. <laughs> Alrighty, I'd like to thank both Matthew and Dave for coming on. Um, I've I, you know what this conversation's already paid for itself at least three times in the knowledge I have going forward. Thank you so much for coming on. I know I why basically I watched the video and within oh god an hour of finishing it, I'm like, God damn it, I, I have to contact <laughs> these guys. 
And thank you, Matthew, yes. for arranging Dave for coming on. Uh, Dave, course. you probably don't know this. Um, I asked because first I didn't want Matthew to think that I wanted to kind of suck some of the air out of his movie. So I said, oh, would you mind if I contacted Dave to see if we could have you both on? And next thing I know, within like 15 minutes, he's like, I don't know. He's really busy. And like three minutes later, he's in. What time should we do this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so thank you both for doing this. It really does mean the world. Like I've said, some people don't want to come on because they have nothing to gain. Uh, out of the three of us, I have to say Cinemodies is probably the smallest thing of everybody's enterprises they're currently involved with. So it does mean a lot when the big people come and talk to the nerds at the nerd table. Yep. Uh, and, and thank you for, I mean, we're still, uh, I know there was another podcast that I was going to get mentioned on and for two weeks it's been delayed and it's been killing me because it's, it's like my top three favorite podcasts. But in that time, I've uh, spent a lot of time listening to Cinemodities. And uh, no, thank you I'm, so much. I'm for so sorry yeah, for listening to Cinemodities. First come, first serve, man. Great. Well, Great. thank you so much, both of you. And to everybody, once again, please check out Matthew's video. It will be linked in the show notes. Chances are it's the title of this episode. Type it into YouTube. It's free. At this point, nobody's making money on it because of some nudity and swearing. But check it out all the same. <laughs> Yep, and I'll and be we, sure to include my Venmo so you guys can uh, send even, me some tips. Even better, but not Patreon because that's not yet available. Not yet. Not well, yet. Soon. But soon. Yeah, it should be. There we go. And, and check out Mesa Verde Times to see everything that Dave and Chief did over their exploits. I think it's worth noting that Mesa Verde Times turns, what, 10 years old this March? Yeah. Yeah, oh, it does. wow. Really? So... Yeah, and our, our adventures in Horizons 20 years ago. Yeah. So show up to the party late. You'll learn something, and you'll be optimistic about the future <laughs> when you're done. Hell yeah. Remember, Definitely. folks, if, if you can dream it, you can do it. Yeah. If we can dream it, then we then can we do can it. Do yes, it. we can. Yes, we can. Horizon. Yeah. All shining. All shining and new. Shining and new. The '80s voices. Oh my gosh. Have you ever dreamed a dream of the future? Yeah. Uh, Picturing a world we've yet to see. Yeah. Hell yeah. Good times. Good times. Sorry about that, fellows. I uh, Skype died on me. <laughs> oh no! Right oh. when I started thinking. So I am back. Hello. <laughs> oh, good. I did, I didn't even notice that you you disappeared. So I mean that in the positive way possible. So oh, no so sorry for interrupting. Now <laughs> continue. Oh, no. with what you were talking about. I'm going to actually use oh. the bathroom. So I was just saying that uh, really I edited the whole documentary myself on my. <laughs> 
I, I was using the Commodore 64. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, he's taking credit for it, folks. <laughs> 